Hi, I'm Jimmy. And I'm Kennedy Carman. Hurry up and save at the all-new R-Town Ford. Your new choice in Randallstown. There's hundreds of new Fords with total savings to up to $12,000. Or choose 0% financing up to 72 months. It's my town. It's your town. It's R-Town Ford. They've got a license to talk. Shocking. Positively shocking. And the words are for your ears only. I think you got the point. Welcome to The Words Are Not Enough. In episode number 18 of The Words Are Not Enough, Carrie Fukunaga teases some early Bond 25 plot details. Could Richard Madden be lining up to don the tux in a post-Craig era? Secret Cinema has announced a new immersive Bond experience, and we pit Tomorrow Never Dies up against The World Is Not Enough for a Brosnan-era showdown. All this and more coming your way now. <laughs> what is up everyone and welcome back to the words are not enough this is our james bond talk show where we talk about the latest and greatest regarding our favorite super spy i am one of your hosts griffin 008 schiller and i am brody 005 Sorvali. there we go uh it's been a while since we've done one of these episodes am i right yeah. It has. It's been a minute. It's been a when minute. Was the last time we did one? Like back in September or something like that. Might have been. Might have been. That that. Yeah, I guess that does sound right. I feel like that's just like the structure of this show. It's like we do the intro and then we're like, yeah, it's been a while since we've done one of these episodes. Don't hate yeah. us, people. No, I mean, I feel like <laughs> if we didn't wait, we couldn't use that in the intro, and it would just really throw us off our game. Absolutely. It's all yeah. part of creating a formula. But um, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, Brody, how are you doing? I know you're about to munch on some uh, Tim Tams. Yeah, but, uh, I'm going to have a, that. Have a, if we have any Australian listeners, uh, they'll know the good the good taste of Tim Tam. I'm, I, I, of Tim Tam. I, I was going to... I was gonna have. Well, I'll wait. I'll, I'll. I won't. I won't chew with my mouth open while I talk. Um, oh please, yeah. But other other than that, it. I've been good. It's been a. Uh, it's been an interesting time because we just started a Twitter account for the. Uh, oh, for the plug podcast. It. Oh plug yeah, it, man. oh yeah, baby. Plug that um, shit at Twain Pod. Uh, <laughs> the words are not enough. Like the acronym and Pod. T W A N E. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, pod, and. That yeah, that's been fun. That's been a, an interesting experience. It gives me an outlet to talk about Bond. I don't even know if I'm gonna have enough juice for this podcast. I think I've uh, I've Exhausted exerted myself. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. We'll you've been uh, you've been going pretty crazy on there. I have to oh, say, we'll it's been. Oh, um, you have no idea for the, the you aren't prepared for the the shit posting that is to come. Oh, <laughs> is there is there more to come? Are we getting like some some crazy stuff? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, thank God. I got some gifts locked and loaded, ready to go. You got some <laughs> gifts? Whoa. I oh, thought yeah. you said gifts for gifts. a second. I was like, wow, Christmas time, and you're feeling really generous. <laughs> Doing just a giveaway on the phone. <laughs> start giving out giveaways, man. <laughs> Please follow us. And then just like, hey, you know, maybe maybe that'll be something we do. We can give out some like James Bond Funko Pops or like oh my. digital codes for the movies. But then again, <laughs> why would we do that? Because if you're following the Twitter account, you should realistically own all the movies. But if you don't, that's fine. Um, it's the Funko Pops, on the other hand, I don't know if we would get away with giving those away because you would probably just keep them all. Well, I have <laughs> I have all the ones I really need, at least for right now, until the next wave comes out. The next wave, we're getting Brosnan, we're getting Craig, we're getting Jinx, unfortunately. It never um, ends. It definitely yeah, it just it never ends. Like, we're getting... Uh, blo- Are we getting a Blofeld? I don't remember. I don't Didn't remember all the ones... Named- was it Dr. We- Evil? No, no, no. We, well, there's there's both now. Oh, we do have boy. a Blofeld, but it's the Donald Pleasance Blofeld, so I don't know if there's another 
Blofeld they gonna, we're gonna getting. Do Charles Gray Blofeld, please. Oh my God, please <laughs> no. No, the one that I'm really excited about is they're doing the Daniel Craig from Quantum of Solace with the uh, the AK or whatever the hell he has oh, in his hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like from yeah, the he's got the assault rifle. He's walking over yeah. like the, the, the granite or whatever the fuck is on the floor. Yeah, that's that's probably my favorite Craig pose. I have to admit, it's pretty great. I wish like yeah, it it, it is reminiscent of um of like that that, that would be his pose. As compared to like uh, Sean Connery doing like holding the the Walther up by his head or um, oh yeah doing like the leg cross thing yeah yeah or Roger yeah, Roger yeah, Moore yeah. like raising his eyebrow and like yeah doing the wide stance that he does <laughs> yeah 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 that's true oh, actually um that's a great that's a great way to start off what are what are the Bond poses because we've already gone through some of them I don't know Dalton's is like the the one on the cover of uh, the Living Daylights I think that's the one, that's the one where he, when he's holding he's holding the gun right up to him up to his head yeah and like yeah yeah that's a good one I um Brosnan has a similar one I think Brosnan does have a very similar one the one where he's in front of the flames and that's like pretty much yeah. the, for the promotional stuff for Goldeneye my oh go- my God yeah my yeah. Go to for the poses is either like either there's an iconic piece of promo art, or it's their gun barrel stance. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Because for George Lazenby, I think he has two. He has the kneel, obviously his signature kneel. Yeah, the um, kneel. Or he also does. He has that one picture um, in London where he's sort of hanging off the um, the like the lamp. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's the one of, like, I think the, of. The in one front of in the London. Thames. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. With the lighter, right? The is, lighter? Does he have a lighter in his hand or something? Let me pull I think it he has up. He's a gun but, in um, his hand, right? Like, <laughs> I think I don't know. I've seen it as a lighter and I've seen it as a gun, but oh, it's my. like some, some manipulations. Out no, there. no, 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 no. It is a gun. It yeah. just it's like so stubby. It looks like a lighter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got his little wolf, uh, his, uh, his little. <laughs> yeah no 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 that's oh that's definitely his iconic pose but it's very similar to connery it's just he's he's not like the leg cross is a little different yeah no for sure i mean he was definitely aping um oh, there we go with aping again um oh, he is definitely choice right? he is yeah of course uh he is aping the connery pose i guess because he's following on um right also right. this is like a complete tangent again but remember how um roger moore smoked cigars at the beginning of his run Yes. Yeah. yeah. How strange is That's that? I wonder whatever yeah, happened yeah, yeah. to those. I feel like he stopped <clears throat> as time went um, on. Because Roger Moore, yeah. I think, I think it was just because Roger Moore smokes cigars in real life, and he just sort of incorporated that into his, uh, into the role. But then he just sort of phased it out over time. I don't know. Right. It's like, well, you know, uh, maybe, maybe Pierce Brosnan came along and punched him in the face for smoking. <laughs> Filthy <laughs> habit. <laughs> oh my That's my favorite thing. And we'll get to Tomorrow Never Dies a little bit later on. Oh, yeah. But I, I love that when he like offers the guy a light that punches him in the face. He's like, filthy habit. Fantastic. <laughs> I like, that's oh. one of my favorite bits. Um, actually, yeah, he assaults uh, two people. For smoking in that movie, <laughs> does he really? Yeah, don't, the, don't the, smoke around good old. Well, in, the, in the opening scene, um, the one guy, the guy I, 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 in the opening scene when he's like when he walks up to the guy in the snow, and he offers him a light or something. Yeah, this is the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Oh, well, he does it again in um, at the in the right when he's he's going to Waylon's um, like secret hideout, and there's a oh, guy, he assaults a guy for smoking. Well, no, he he pretends to offer a guy a light. And then he punches him in the face. Oh, okay. So that's I, that's interesting. That's like a trend in that film. It was a real anti-smoking like initiative in Tomorrow. Yeah, Morning. I like how I, I <laughs> no, for real. I love how I noticed the bag of cocaine in the safe, but I don't notice that. Like yeah, it's like his signature punching guys move. The oh, bag of yeah, cocaine yeah, yeah. is. I remember noticing that as a kid, 
and like trying to figure out if it was um, Carver's or or Gupta's. <laughs> I like to think it's Carver's. Yeah. That just that just makes me laugh a little more. He's, he's definitely on something. Oh, we'll Carver's get to someone of dies later. We'll get to a name. Yes, yes, yes. There were, we have a whole <laughs> chunk, um, you know, uh, sectioned out for as we uh, kind of alluded to on our Twitter account. We put up a poll, and we're going to be uh, referring to that poll actually a little bit later on. You guys are really uh, interactive on it, so thank you for that. And we look to do more of those in the future, but. We got to start off with some Bond news. Not a whole lot, but a little two bits and pieces here. And so we're going to go into Tomorrow Never Lies. Man, this whole mm. show is really just centered around the Brosnan era. Our whole, sh- I, yeah, uh, our whole show I, is just always very Brosnan. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it so much. It's phenomenal. Um, but anyways, so the first thing we're going to be uh, starting off with here is a little Bond 25 update. Nothing huge, but um, you know, it is only a matter of months before cameras begin rolling on Daniel Craig's final outing as James Bond. And And as expected, we're starting to get little nuggets of information along the way. So when director Danny Boyle was originally attached to the project, it was looking more and more as if Bond 25 would be a standalone film, not necessarily acknowledging the events of the past Craig era. Um, And it would be focusing on a self-contained narrative. Now, uh, Boyle's obviously off the project, and we have Kerry Fukunaga. So, speaking with Inquirer.net, current Bond 25 director Kerry Fukunaga uh, spoke a bit about how he plans to continue and conclude the journey Bond began back in Casino Royale. If I can find the quote here, I kind of lost it. There we go. (laughs) Uh, he (laughs) He says the following... In terms of what I can bring to change the character, Bond is on a character arc that started with Casino Royale, and I will be carrying that on. There will be changes, I am sure. As in any story, a character has to change in order to have a narrative. And that's not all we got from uh, Carrie here. Fukunaga even teased his progress on beginning to uh, plan the film's action set pieces, saying he's started to think about it a little bit, but not all yet. I'm trying to get all the narrative stuff sorted out and have a good story to tell. Fuganaga then went on to promise fans that there will definitely be elements of the 007 formula involved, saying, yeah, there will be things in the Bondverse that you have come to expect, he promised. I can't say too much, though. Um, and then I think we got like a few more quotes from him. The director also spoke a bit on working with Daniel Craig, saying that Daniel is an incredible actor outside of Bond. I have been a fan of his uh, fan of his work for years. For me, he was the best part of Road to Perdition. In his first Bond movie, Casino Royale, he brought an incredible amount of vulnerability and humanity to the character, which was a big shift from Pierce Brosnan's run. There's good old uh, Pierce being brought up again on this episode. (laughs) Um... But months ago, it was heavily <laughs> rumored that uh, throwing some shade. Do you think throwing he's throwing some shade, some shade at some Pierce? Oh, like, like <laughs> brought some vulnerability and humanity. He was acting unlike Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> oh my god, I wouldn't dig that deep into uh, it. But um, I don't months think he ago, maliciously, but right, 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 right. <laughs> Months ago, it was heavily rumored that uh, Christoph Waltz would not be reprising his role as Blofeld in Bond 25, and to this, Fukunaga replied with the following, saying that, Who is saying these rumors? We haven't finished the screenplay, so there is no way that anyone could know that. If there is a space for Blofeld in the story, I would absolutely want him there, but I don't know yet what it's going to be. 
Uh, as of now, Bond 25 is still slated to release on February 14th, 2020. Brody, what do you make of these comments? I want to start by saying, ha, I told you so. I told everyone <laughs> so. I knew it. When like, with the In regards to the Christoph Waltz um, aspect of the story. Yes, um, yes. Oh, boy. I, everyone was so keen to jump on... Uh, Waltz, because Waltz made some comments about like, oh, I haven't been approached. I don't think I'm doing it. And everyone was like, right. well, that means he's not doing it. And I said, well, the script isn't done yet. And everyone, I, I got some pushback, but here we are. Here we are. <laughs> and and like, here's my thing, right? Um, I'm not saying we're going to get Blofeld, but it is interesting that he's talking about it. And talking about because like I remember in, in the same interview he talked about Ben Wishore as well, right? And uh, I believe so, maybe a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and there was sort of the same kind of like sort of coy, like, "Well, I'm sure he'll be back if we can get him," and um, which is like one of those things where like, of course, Q's gonna come back, like, and I don't, mm. I don't see why they wouldn't get Ben Wishore because it's, like, it's it's a it's a small part. It's not like he can't make a schedule between Paddington movies. Um, and I, 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 the fact that Blofeld's being mentioned in the same like sort of way as a, a reoccurring character like Q makes me think they're definitely considering bringing him back, or at least at the very least considering tying up the story um, as it was left in Spectre, which is what I wanted them to do. Like, and I, mm-hmm. I mean, if, you, if you've been watching the show for a long time, I. And I'm really that's why it makes me so happy about that first comment he made about how he's continuing the story from Casino Royale and the thing is everyone's I've seen some people complain that the Craig era has been too connected um for me that was never really an issue I mean the you read the books I hate like you read the books but I hate to be that guy, but well, we're going to get to another person who's read the books a little bit later on as well. Well, right, and but the thing is, like, it, it like if you read the books, they're all pretty connected. Like, not so much in terms of like a continuing story arc, but there are references between books. Like uh, at the end of Casino Royale, um, Bond gets um, spy carved into his hand, and then he has to get a screen graft, and then they mention that in the next. In, uh, in Live and Let Die, that mm-hmm. he had to have a skin graft on his hand to like, t- so he could remain like you know um, inconspicuous in the field. Um, and then after Diamonds Are Forever, uh, he's in like a pretty serious relationship with Tiffany Case, and then they have to bring up like what happened to that relationship in the next uh, the next book. Um, so there's always been like little nuggets of continuity in the books, and they like this even in the films. The earlier films are pretty well connected as well with like. Spectre getting revenge for Dr. No and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, I think people uh, understate how connected the Connery films really are. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think, like, and I think by that same, like, by that same logic, it kind of annoys me that people complain about Craig's films being connected and saying that's a weakness. Like, yeah, there was some ham-fisted stuff in Spectre, but... Realistically, though, that was the only film I thought where the the connection was so in your face. Right, and, and that's the thing. I, I think I was like some people were saying, well, it was Spectre was trying to tie all these movies together unrealistically, but they were all pretty much tied together anyway. Like, mm-hmm. first of all, like there's an undeniable link between Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, and mm-hmm. then Spectre's a little more loose on the connect. Oh, not Spectre, uh, Skyfall's a little more loose on the connections, but 
Yeah, Skyfall is a pretty self-contained film. It is I pretty think. self-contained, but I think there is definitely like room for. I mean, that's another thing. Like people always say, like, like oh, they jump from like really young Bond to really old Bond, but in terms of the timeline, there's only really there's, there's like a six year gap between Quantum of Solace and um, Skyfall. At mm-hmm, least, mm-hmm. because Quantum of Solace takes place in 2006, because it's a direct sequel to Casino Royale, and two, and then you have Twist and Twelve with uh, Skyfall. So I don't know if that was a big leap to say he's aged a lot, being you know a, a government assassin over six years. I think that would age a man. Um, so I, I think yeah, it was like sure. definitely a continuity in his character arc, as Fukunaga sort of says uh, between those films. Yeah, there's a bit of like some contrived connections in Spectre, but I don't think they should. Long, long story short, <laughs> I'm sorry for rambling, but um, I I always maintained that it would be a mistake for Bond 25 to just say, you know what, the connections in people weren't a fan of the way we use connections in Spectre. Let's drop that entirely, especially sure. yeah, for yeah, Craig's yeah. last film. Like, <laughs> why? give up on the thing you've devoted so much F, like energy and storytelling like sort of um, capital on. Yeah, yeah. You you have to finish it. You have to take it to its logical conclusion. Otherwise, you're going to have Craig's era is going to be this really lopsided weird like, well, they were all connected and then there's Bond 25 and that one was kind of just on its own. Right. You know? Which, and it would I, be I weird. I think I've kind of yeah, I think I've kind of come around on that because I used to really not have an issue with 25 being a standalone kind of because I think I was soured by Spectre a little mu- a little bit. Um, so when Danny Boyle was talking about it being a self-contained film, I'm like, great, just do whatever you can to like have Daniel Craig go out on a high note. But now I'm kind of retracting that a little bit. I- I'm seeing where Fukunaga is coming from. And if-, if he clearly has a vision for where he wants to take this story, which it sounds like he does, and he sounds like he's figuring it out, um, yeah. and he respects, but I think that's my favorite thing, he respects the films that have come before it. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, in not just like Bond in general, but in terms of the Craig era, he's clearly a fan of the franchise, um, you know, commending, uh, Craig on his portrayal of Bond in Casino Royale and he wants to give it the proper conclusion. So like, I, I, I agree with you. I do like that. He's going to try and wrap everything up, um, from the Craig timeline because yeah. of how interconnected they really are. Yeah. And I think that, that like as much shit as I like to give, uh, Purvis and Wade, I think one upside to having them on board is that they are cognizant of everything that happened in the previous films because they were involved in yeah. all the previous films. And so, yeah, again, as much shit as I like to give them, and I do think they have their own uh, weaknesses as writers, for like, at least for the Bond films, um, that is a, a nice, like, reassuring thing. It's like, okay, they're not going to completely forget everything that, about Spectre because they wrote Spectre. You know what I mean? Or they're mm-hmm. not going to forget things that happen in Casino Royale because they wrote Casino Royale. So, I... Yeah, no, I I, I think this is really, really great stuff. Um, the whole interview, I think, if, if people haven't read it, go read yeah, it. because it's it'll, good. It's, gonna, it's good. Uh, it'll make you feel a little bit better. I mean, if you don't know who Kari Fukunaga is, because, I mean, if you know who he is, that alone should excite you because if you, if you know what he's done with, like, True Detective, that should really like get you amped oh absolutely but if, yeah. you, if you aren't familiar with him and you like you have no reason to be excited about this random guy you've never heard of read the interview because he really does paint a really um good picture of himself as a candidate to make this film um yeah there, he I mean, has some really good comments a... about he has some really good comments about like a view to a kill 
I thought was great. I was actually about to, I was actually about to bring that up. There, yeah. there should be a link to this whole article in the uh, in the notes for this episode that are in the description. But um, he, uh, you're right. He does talk about a view to a kill because I think that was like a Bond film that had like a really big impact on him. It was the he first grew, one he saw. Yeah, yeah, and and he grew up in the Bay Area, and the conclusion of that film takes place in the Bay Area, and like he loved the Duran Duran Bond song. So it's like Hell the guy yeah. clearly has. A, a, a an affection for this franchise and, and it's in the hands of someone who deeply cares about James Bond and I think that's you, you don't want someone um you don't want anyone else you want someone who you know cares about the franchise so someone who I, cares I like but that. also is willing to do something different and take Absolutely. risks and shake things up because again like I think there is a there is a tendency to like give it to someone who's going to be like who's going to treat it like like scripture you know what I mean someone yeah. who's going to be super like slavishly loyal to the formula that kind of thing I don't necessarily want that I want someone who's going to come along and say okay I love Bond but we're going to do my own thing here and that's yeah for sure th- for, for me for my money I didn't know I really didn't consider him before he was announced but I didn't I'm even think so about him either glad, yeah. I'm so glad he was picked like I am so happy yeah, um, yeah, it's yeah, it's I, really, yeah. really inspired, uh, an inspired choice. From, and since from, you like, uh, since you like the one takes, um, oh that, that, especially the Sam Mendes's one take yes. from the opening, you're probably gonna get a one take with Carrie Fukunaga because um, I, I mean, freaking hope so, man. <laughs> I mean, I freaking he hope did, so. He probably did the best one take I've ever seen on television. I haven't seen Daredevil, um, season three yet. That's but, my favorite one take of all time. Um. But, but True Detective has a phenomenal one take. It's incredible. Like, my God. So I think, um, Griffin, at least, you shall be very happy with some of the decisions. Oh, I'll be thrilled. Makes. Yeah. Th- this, that's my thing. Is like, I, I'm a sucker for tracking shots. Um, I, I, I think it really immerses you into the moment of what's going on and it adds more realism to it. So, like, we were, t- we, before the show started, we were talking about the opening of Spectre and, like, mm. while well, Spectre's oh, a yeah, mixed context, bag. Yeah. Yeah, that film opens with such a bang, not just from like a, um, you know, action set standpoint, but from like a filmmaking standpoint. I, I mean, Hoyt Van Hoytema and uh, uh, Sam Mendes really just outdid themselves um, in that film, and especially Sam Mendes, at least for me, outdoing what he did at the beginning of Skyfall, which I think is a an adrenaline rush of an opening uh, that really concludes in in a uh, in a very shocking way. I um, and mm-hmm. then. Um, you know, you get something like Spectre with that one take. And, and I mean, you know, people are just like, oh, it's just a one take. Nothing really happens. But you got to think about all the moving pieces going on there and how it just like really immerses you into what's going on. It's just in, in Thomas Newman's score at that moment, which yeah. I, I, I have been overly critical. Not overly. I've just I've been adequately critical <laughs> of his score for Spectre because I think he's just reusing motifs. From I agree. Skyfall. Yeah. I mean, not even motifs. Um, I think he's just reusing like tracks. He's reusing <laughs> the, the whole thing. He's just like, well, we can use this here. But. Well, I think his score, myself. yeah, like yeah. his score really shines at that opening. Um, it's a really good track, and I think like yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. It gives you a good sense of geography for the scene. Like yes, um, yes, it gives you a good sense of like where everything is, where the parade is heading, all that kind of stuff. So that when the action breaks out, you're like, you can just sort of soak in the atmosphere without having to yeah. be like, well, where are we? What's going on? Um, yeah, so I, I, I definitely think that it wasn't, it wasn't just like st- like. A, 
a tracking shot for the sake of a tracking shot. It definitely serves a purpose film. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. 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 Ab- yeah absolutely. All, all round great stuff. Uh, wow. We really got off topic on that one, huh? No, no, no. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> the moral of the story is I'd love to see another tracking shot in 25 and with Kerry Fukunaga and his like, um, you know, inventive, not maybe not inventiveness, but his creativity when it comes to crafting sequences, uh, I, I think we'll get, some incredible uh, uh, shots yeah. and and just you know sequences in general. But I hope I hope like in terms of like this is like a, uh, another little tangent before we move on about um, picking up where uh, the Craig sort of era story has gone like it left off. I mm-hmm. really hope they don't ignore the way Spectre ended. Like for a number oh, of with reasons, him and Madeline. With him and Madeline, not 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 because I want Madeline in the whole movie necessarily. Although if she is, that might be exciting to see um sure. and like develop that relationship a bit more but more so there's the fact that bond left the service you know what i mean i don't want i don't necessarily want to start the movie with oh bond's back and that's all we're gonna say about that i at least want them to yeah. acknowledge the fact that he quit at the end of specter and he like i mean like yeah he ran off with this girl and so like you have to kind of I feel, I feel like you have to explain that, and I feel like, yeah. and I feel like that also could tie into the, the my favorite moment in Spectre, and I think I've mentioned this before, is um, the moment in Mister White's secret room at the Lamerican, and it's when Bond finds the uh, interrogation tape, Vesper's interrogation tape, mm-hmm. and he looks at it, and then like Madeline kind of notices and then he just throws it down and keeps doing what he's doing. But there's like a little pensive moment where you can see, because Craig is such a great actor. You can see like all of the emotion he feels in like sort of seeing that, that thing that he's sort of left behind, but you can tell he's not quite over. Um, yeah. Yeah. Despite like him saying he is. Um, well, I, I think that's, such, that's such a, something that's, that's such been a beautiful, like, yeah. Yeah. Such a beautiful thing. It's been so integral to Craig's take on bond. And I yeah. think, you have a really nice opportunity now because you've got Bond in a relationship with the girl whose father pretty much destroyed Vespa's life. Um, and kind of ruined his life too. And, and by extension, ruined his life. I think there's a lot of really interesting, dramatic potential there. Uh, oh, and now, absolutely. And now you've got I, Bond having left the service prematurely. Maybe he's doing that because he's trying to like... Uh, maybe he's trying too hard to move on when he hasn't really earned it you know what i mean and yeah that's true i i, I, I don't think, know i feel like there's a really it's a really cool place to end the to end that movie on and for the next movie to pick up and i hope they don't squander that and just say you know what whatever no he's, i he's back and madeline's gone and keep going yeah like yeah yeah no, no no i i agree i i think the best way to open 25 and this is I promise this won't. I, I won't go into too much detail, but I think the best <laughs> way to open Bond Twenty Five is with an incident that that draws him back into action, that like really propels him um, into action. Because I agree with you that he left the service. They can't just like gloss over that. That has to be something that is is a very you know integral part to him coming back to MI6 and 25 and so I feel like if you had something like a mm. you only live twice opening where uh there's like a 
uh, so, some like global conflict event or, or, or yeah. something. I I don't know that really like springboards him into action or like maybe maybe he comes, maybe he comes back because of Brexit. <laughs> oh my God, he's James <laughs> he's like, Bond will stop Brexit. England needs me, and then he comes back. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, no. But, um, either do that or have there be like a situation where um. You know, uh, like like uh, the beginning of the Born Supremacy, where um, his the love of his life is killed. Well, not necessarily the love of his life, but like the girl he's with is is killed, and so right. he's kind of you know. So I, do, I, do, I, doing like a Majesty's, but at the beginning of the film. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But that, that's why I thought of the Born film because I was like, or Born Supremacy because it was at the beginning. But yeah, no, yeah, for sure, I, absolutely. Majesties. I um I kind of am in the boat. I I used to be in a different position on this. Um. I if they bring Madeline back or at least they reference Madeline um in any kind of way which I think you have to reference her at least Oh sure but, yeah, um, yeah yeah I don't want her to be killed I used to be like oh yeah just redo the majesty's thing um part of me I, I, my evolution on that sort of uh line of thought is a I don't really think it does any as any service to kill her off um because we do, I mean, like, I think most people admit we we're not too attached to her. Um, no, no. And I don't think Bond is that attached to her either. So she, her death would just be meaningless. If they killed her at the beginning, um, then it really wouldn't serve that much of a dramatic purpose. It would just, be just sort of we, literally we, get rid of her. Yeah, exactly. Because she was really underdeveloped in Spectre. So I feel like if Which they I kept her alive have, in twenty five, that gives us more chance to like connect with her. You know, for sure. Yeah, but if, if, but if they do get rid of her, I think. Having them just part ways in like a like a Tiffany case kind of sense, or like a um like from the novel, or um mm-hmm. even like, I mean maybe not quite the same extent because of the way that book ends, but um Gala Brandt at the end of um Moonraker, they kind of part ways in an interesting fashion. Um, yeah, I think something like that where it's like mutual and because I mean Bond's got enough. Uh, like you know, sacrificial lambs on his conscience. I think it would be exploitative just to just kill her for no reason. Just like, well, we need to get rid of her. Um, yeah, for sure. And I also think it just wouldn't have the dramatic weight that Tracy's death had. Um, yep. and it would start the film off on a note where, like, well, it wasn't as good as Majesty's, and that's a really bad yeah, foot to start off on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to start off comparing yourself to possibly the best Bond film. So, oh like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, or at least one of them, you know. And so. Um. Yeah, I, I, I just think, and then of course, I mean, like on a, a purely sort of um, on a different note, like you know, fridging the girlfriend is kind of a done, like an outdone. Yeah, I, it's like, kind of, it's just like cliched and like yeah. it's just like uh, whatever. Deadpool even did of, that a little bit in oh, the second Deadpool one. This is this is a big tangent. I don't, yeah, I don't want to yeah. like go off too much on this, but like, <laughs> but I, I agree with what you're saying, and I think it's just. You know, it's just I kind mean, of like ugh, when really Deadpool did point. it, it was like it was sort of like, oh, that's kind of gross and unnecessary and kind of just weird and un- unsatisfactory. I mean, I actually I, I don't mind Deadpool two. Um, I like it better than the first one, but that yeah, that was kind of weird. Um, <laughs> we get on Deadpool, oh, right? Yeah, I mean, but even like I I think uh, Mission Impossible Fallout did a really good job of um, resolving a relationship without. You know, torturing oh, the woman. Like you're right. You know they I mean? resolved it. They didn't just kill off. The, they didn't. They resolved the it, and they did it yeah. in a way that was emotionally satisfactory for the character. Yeah, for both characters, 
but also wasn't exploitative of the female character for the sake of drama. So I think I obviously don't do exactly what they did because that would be plagiarism, but plagiarism, you know, definitely uh, that that would be something to be cognizant of. You say, you know, we can do, we, you know, it's going to be what? 2020. Let's do something a little more. um, Sure. Just, you know, you know, modern. Let's, let's move away (laughs) from, you know, uh, genre cliches and whatnot and just do something interesting. But anyways, enough talk about bond 25. Let's move on to who's going to be the next James Bond. Wow. Yes, this is a big one because we still are on this topic and we will be on this topic up until um, the next one is announced, unfortunately. Until the end, until the end of time. We'll until the end of dis- time. Always be discussing it. Yes. So uh, is it possible that uh, Richard Madden could be the next Bond? Well, Game of Thrones alum and star of the new hit series The Bodyguard, Richard Madden, has been given uh, giving Bond bookies something to talk about recently as he's become one of the odds-on favorites to replace Daniel Craig as the next James Bond. Now, while as of today, November 30th, Madden was recently overtaken by Tom Hiddleston, whose odds are currently 5-4 to four compared to Madden's 2-1, to one, during an interview with GQ, the actor addressed the Bond rumors saying the following. My first reaction, says Madden, is always the same reaction, which is the papers make up a story on Sunday so they can discredit that story on Monday so they can sell papers on both days. This is what happens with all these shows, like Tom Hiddleston in The Night Manager. Then there's the next one. I'm the next one. Everyone just loves the rumor mill on that topic. I'm just the current one. There'll be a different one next week. So when asked whether or not he wouldn't rule out the possibility, uh, Madden gave the uh, good old, I don't want to be the, I don't want to be cursed response. So, (laughs) which I I, I have to appreciate. He said, uh, I don't want to curse anything by saying anything. I think that's the curse of that. If you don't talk about it, you'll curse. Or I'm sorry, if you if you talk about it, you'll curse it. Getting all tangled up in my words here. But mm-hmm. he then went on to state how he's a massive fan of the franchise. He loves all the films and he's read all of the books. And he has, this has been like a love of his since his early teens. Um, but it is interesting that some of Madden's co-stars uh, through past projects have even commented on the recent, recent casting rumors. We have Lily James, who was a co-star in Cinderella and Romeo and Juliet, say, uh, she said, he'd be great. It would be it would be great having a Scottish James Bond. There's a cheekiness to him that works really well with Bond. That wryness and glint behind his eyes. You don't know what's going to come next. Mm. And then we have Kit Harrington, obviously co-star in Game of Thrones, saying, "I don't want to curse him." Anytime anyone starts to get rumored for Bond, it becomes a curse on them. And the reason I don't want to do that is that I actually do think he'd make a very good Bond. He's got that natural charm. He's proven that he's proven with Bodyguard that he has that muscle for it and wouldn't it be nice to go back to a scottish bond which i have to echo uh yeah it'd be really cool to go back to a scottish bond let's do it but brody it's interesting that this is the new um that Madden has become the uh, the the new uh, fad, I guess, if you will, for yeah. Bond casting. Even though Tom Hiddleston uh, is ahead of him, he just surged ahead ever so slightly after uh, in the the Collider Avengers Infinity War screening, where the Russos did a, did a Q and A and they said that Loki is dead, and so a lot of people have been putting money on Tom Hiddleston because. Uh, 
you know, he's not returning as Loki, so might as well be James Bond getting another franchise. So that's kind of why he surged ahead here. But I know you have been a fan of Richard Richard Madden for a long time, and yeah. uh, you have actually like you, you know uh, expressed interest in him taking on the role before. So how does it feel to be right that oh, he could man. potentially be the next James Bond? This is two stories in a row where I am right, baby. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I um no yeah I, this is fantastic. I mean yeah I, I've. For, for like to fill everyone in, I've I've been saying um, Richard Madden would be a fantastic Bond for a really long time. Uh, pre- basically, since I saw uh, Game of Thrones, uh, like the first yeah. season. Now, um, have you um, have you watched The Bodyguard yet? I have not watched The Bodyguard yet. Um, I want to. I probably when I have more time uh, over Christmas break, I might check it out. Um, gotcha. It looks really good. He looks really good in it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is, and he. he it's refreshing that he gave such an insight, like an insightful response with like the, um, you know, they're basically just rumoring me because I'm in a bond like spy TV show, kind of like how mm-hmm. Tom Hiddleston was in the night manager, etc. Mm-hmm. which is dead on exactly why he's being, oh, it's absolutely, it doesn't yeah, mean yeah. he's not a pro. It's the same reason why people talk about Henry Cavill. It's because he did uh, man from uncle and uh, mission impossible where it's like, Oh, he did two spy things. So I could definitely see him in a bond thing. Um, again, doesn't mean he's inappropriate for the role because I think both of them are very, very good for the role. But that is the reason why people are talking about them, and that's the why. I mean, I mean, first of all, isn't Tom Hiddleston going back to the bookies thing for a second? Isn't Tom Hiddleston yeah. doing like a TV show, Loki TV show? Yeah, th- th- that's the only thing is so, he's like apparently he's supposed to be doing some Loki TV show, which I think is the no. dumbest idea in the world. But um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's not like he's going anywhere with the character. But I guess they're like, oh well, that's TV. He can do TV and film at the same time. So I guess yeah. he can be Bond. I don't know. I, I mean, I've never sure. j- just as a quick side here. I I have never been. Uh, a fan of the Tom Hiddleston as James Bond casting. I just, I, I don't think he, he carries himself like in just in all the performances I've seen from him. I've never gotten like a, Oh, he can carry himself as James Bond. He'd be a little too soft for me. Um, I think he's an incredible actor and a great guy. I, I really do like Tom Hiddleston. I just don't like him for this particular role. That's fair. Yeah, no, I think um with Tom Hiddleston, he'd definitely be more of a, ah, see, I don't know. I think, yeah, he doesn't. He definitely doesn't have like Daniel Craig's build, or anything like that. Oh no, no, no! Or like, no, yeah. so he wouldn't be like a Craig Connery kind of Bond. But, um, I mean, I could see it. Maybe I don't know. I haven't seen the Night Manager either, so I really I've heard he's really good in that, and I've heard he's yeah, playing maybe. completely against type in that, which yeah. might change my, like might might sway me a bit, but. Based on everything I've, as I've seen, yeah, he'd definitely come, he'd be more of like a Roger Moore Bond. He'd definitely be more like sort of... Yeah, but even like, you know. I, I don't know, even Roger Moore could pull off some of the physical stuff in there that I don't know if... Tom, I mean, then again, Absolutely, like Tom Hiddleston yeah. was pretty good in Kong Skull Island with like the action stuff, so I I don't yeah, know. Maybe he, could, no, maybe, I think he, maybe he could actually work out as a he good would just James be, Bond. He'd just be a little, a little bit more gentlemanly than he would be... Um, like super spy, which so, could be a nice change. Which of could pace be nice, yeah. The but but I, yeah, then I yeah. think Madden can do both. So I think exactly. Madden is um, he was always like back way back in the day before um we knew even like that, that Daniel Craig was coming back. Um, I always thought like I always had like in contention for the two people I wanted was was um, I, I wanted uh, Michael Fassbender, of course. Or yeah. if they if they wanted someone younger, 
I think a younger version of a Michael Fassbender type Bond is Richard Madden. So mm-hmm. I, 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 I just think, oh man, I'm, I'm just like not making any sense. I'm gushing, but he no. <laughs> would be very good. And I think he would be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean like he, I think he has a better chance than Henry Cavill does because Henry Cavill's a bit tied up and also a bit older now. Um, yeah, unfortunately. Well, th- and that was going to be the yeah. next question I posed to you is like, obviously, people really Wait, like Madden. Um, they they think he would do a great job. Yes, I agree. The Scottish Bond would be great to have uh, given Bond's ancestry. So that's kind of nice. Um, and also, yeah, it would just be it just be cool to have that. Um, but uh, between the two, if you had to choose, who would you prefer to be Bond? Would you prefer Madden or Cavill? Oh, it's hard. I think. I'm gonna go Madden. I think really? Madden's around. He can be around. He's younger, so he could do it for longer. If they were to like make him go the distance, Man, I think. I, and I think like Henry Cavill is just. I don't know. I, I I think he's in terms of like this is this is getting really superficial because I think they're both they could both play it pretty well. I think. Um, I prefer Madden's body type. <laughs> wow, for, for that's Bond. a little shallow yeah. there. I mean, wow. yeah, I mean th- that's pretty much what it comes down to. Because I mean, I don't have enough evidence to really base anything substantive of. Um, I, I can't make a, a decision of substance. Uh, that's fair on this, but yeah, I I'd be happy with both though. Absolutely, sure. I either one. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Either one, I'd be very happy with. For me personally, I would go with uh, Cavill. Just because I want to see him in that role and like because I know he loves the character and he has such, you know, he's wanted that role ever since it was taken or not taken from him. But ever since Daniel Craig like came in and uh, basically won over the producers. Uh, So like I just think it'd be like really fulfilling to see him finally get a chance to do that because I think he'd do a great job. Plus, he doesn't always he doesn't usually get to play like a Brit, you know. Yeah. He, he's he's always putting on an American accent, so it would be kind of nice for him to just like do his uh, you know normal normal voice and stuff like that. I I agree. Mm-hmm. I think both of them would be great. Cavill would definitely be more along the lines of a Craig. I think actually maybe maybe even more along the lines of a Brosnan. I think because he can pull off so like too. the physicality, he, but he's smooth. Yeah. I think he's smooth. I think he. I mean, this is. I, I don't want to like take shots. I think Daniel Craig is a much better actor than. Henry Cavill. Like, I don't think that's taking shots. I think that's a that's a pretty accurate statement. Yeah, Dan- yeah. Daniel I mean, Craig is like a, a is a world class actor. He's he incredible. is. Yeah, and I think like and again I, that's what I mean. I, I don't want to make it sound like well Henry Cavill's a bad actor. He's just no, not he, as yeah. good of an actor as Daniel Craig. So I, I think he'd, he'd his his ability would be on par with someone like like Pierce Brosnan, who's a good actor, just not like. Not like that next level of like. Oh, don't complexity. you be taking shots at my buddy Pierce there. I'm He's, not. I'm just saying, like, in terms we're gonna of like, have an appreciation hour of, for him. <laughs> I'm not taking shots at my boy no, Pierce, I know. but like, what <laughs> I'm saying is, um, if you, I mean, if you, if you, I think it's a, I think it's a self-evident fact that Daniel Craig, Timothy Dalton, and Sean Connery are the three best actors to have played Bond. Regardless of what you think of their take, they are the yeah. three most accomplished and uh, well-rounded actors to have played the role. I would uh, agree. Yeah. yeah. And I think it shows because you look... Well, actually, I was about to say look at their career post and post-Bond, well, we or in, da- in the case of Daniel Craig, pre-Bond, yeah. Um but you look at Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan's had a pretty good career post Bond. Actually, I probably. don't know if he has. Really, I, I, I think don't he's think had so. a very, I think, I think Timothy Dalton's had a better post Bond career than Brosnan. Tim, Timothy like, Dalton's had a very good low key 
post Bond career. But like, I mean, better than no career. I, I really, honestly, I, I Pierce Brosnan's done Mamma Mia, and that's like the biggest, that's the most high profile thing he's, he's done. He's great in those. He is great them. in those. And I'm, yeah. Like, yeah, I'm not taking shots at Pierce. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> like it's it's absolutely. I, I don't know. I, I think across the board, I think he's been pretty low key. His his post Bond career, he had a pretty good like during Bond career i guess because he did a bunch of like blockbusters because he was popular yeah like Tom- thomas crown affair and uh, yeah and i like, did like dante's peak and dante's stuff like peak that. yeah um but yeah no i think timothy dalton's been like doing consistent work like That's post fair. bond and sean connery obviously has been doing consistent work until he retired well, he but, uh, right until he retired i i think uh it'll be interesting this is a little bit of a side here i think when it's all said and whole done show is made of a sides at this point this whole show's <laughs> made of a, hopefully you're enjoying it though um <laughs> when it's all said and done i think daniel craig will have the most accomplished career out of all of them Absolutely, because yeah. he was um he was a powerhouse before he was just kind of not as well known he was, he's a powerhouse during and he's going to be a powerhouse after. He's just that caliber. Oh, of an I think actor. he's got an Oscar, and I think he, I think he'll have an Oscar on his mantle by the end of his career. Absolutely. Um, similar absolutely. to how Sean Connery got one later in his career. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, no, absolutely. That'll yeah. be something. To keep keep your eyes on that space, everyone. Keep, keep your keep your eyes on that Craig kid. He's got a great future. <laughs> yeah, ahead yeah. Of he's him. got some oh, talent, yeah, that, that kid. That, that that Craig kid over there. No. Oh boy. So, <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, guys, that's going to do it for the news section. Tomorrow never lies. Let us know all your thoughts and opinions on the myriad of topics we've discussed during that segment in the oh, comment yeah. section of wherever you are watching. And as always, we're going to head into Q Branch. Now, Q Branch is where we talk about all the little tidbits and pieces that don't pertain specifically to the films at hand. Um, so we're talking maybe like comics, video games, uh, special events, scores in this case. we got a lot of music. Um, so Brody, I'm going to hand the reins over to you. What do we got on the docket for Q Branch today? All right, we got some uh, we got some items. We got some items on the docket. Uh, we, <laughs> we have well, first of all some news that dropped last night, um, which is Thursday night. If uh, depending on when this goes up, right? Or but, or the the morning for you UK. Oh, well, folks. yeah, true. It was in the morning. Te- yeah, I mean, it's, technically, it was in the morning. Uh, we were just up very late, but um, right. <laughs> it was. Uh, it, you probably saw, but there is a Casino Royale Secret Cinema event going on and so uh if you're not familiar with secret cinema uh and i'm gonna be honest i'm only vaguely familiar with what it is uh, yeah i mean i I hadn't i hadn't heard of it until i saw this announcement but it sounds so cool it sounds incredible it's basically what they seem to do is it's like an immersive experience where they recreate the the movie but you're in it essentially Mm -hmm. and so it's a big long thing and they take take you from like location to location you sort of watch the film unfold around you it's like an interactive kind of thing um it sounds incredible and so they're doing one like they're doing a secret cinema for casino royale in london and that just sounds so much like like so much fun like what do you think, Griffin? What do you what do you think? No, I, I'm a huge fan. I want to go to it myself. Um <laughs> if I can, you know, find the time slash Next money. Summer, yeah. <laughs> right. Um it just like I I always love when they have these like super immersive experiences and like um really make the films come to life. Uh and and like something like this. I mean, they literally like collect your phones at the beginning and then you're just thrown into this thing, you know, they get they give you costumes, at least it looked like they did. 
Um, they do. Uh, if you've done a secret cinema, please tell us about the experience. It sounds yeah, please. super cool. Um, I'd like to understand more. <laughs> yeah, for real. Because, I mean, when you go to their website, everything's, like, very vague. You have to, like, watch the videos in order to really get a grasp of what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, I mean, they take you from, like, Madagascar at the beginning to, like, uh, Montenegro. Uh, they give you, like, the drinks. They, they get, have, like, spies who are coming after you. Like, it just sounds like a really fun time. Um and uh, I I would I would kill to do it. Maybe maybe it'll happen. Maybe not. But um, if you are in the UK, seriously, go do this. This sounds incredible. Yeah. No. And so like if if you are interested in going, uh, I believe tickets go on sale next week. It, it's like um, it's like five yeah, it's days like from now. Five, or something. five it's like days December from now. Or something like that. December sixth. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, if you're in the area and you if you have um. I think it's like seventy nine pounds or a hundred US dollars. Yeah, um, that that's for the VIP, right? Or is that for regular? No, that's for the standard. It's like between. I think they said between forty and seventy nine pounds. I don't know what that means, but um, gotcha. for like the standard package, and it's a little more expensive if you want to do like the the lavish VIP one, where you get like I think it's just you basically get some VIP access, you get a fast track entry, and. Um, like drink vouchers and food vouchers and gift. Which like gift come bag. on, if you're doing a bond experience, you gotta have those drink vouchers. Yeah. So here I, I pulled it up. Um. So yeah, it is forty to seventy nine pounds for the standard package, and then for the VIP, it's one hundred and twenty five to one hundred and seventy five pounds. Um, and the big difference between them is it's a four hour experience for both. Um. Yeah, but for the additional, uh, yeah, drinks, fast track, that kind of thing, gift bag. Um, but yeah, no, if, you, if you're sinking money into it, you might as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, go, but yeah, go no, it out, sounds great. It's, it sounds like a really, it's interesting that they chose Casino Royale. Um, it'd be, you'd think it'd almost be easier if they just done, <laughs> they'd just done Skyfall since half of it takes place in London. But um, That's true, yeah. I like that they did Casino Royale. It's the... It's, in my opinion, it's the better film, but <laughs> right, yeah, and, it is, and it is, I think I, you can definitely do something more exotic with it because you got like, you know, casinos and whatever else, locations, um, and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think, um, well, not casinos, just like just the one, but um, just the one, just the one casino. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it sounds like a fantastic thing. There's really not too much else to say about that right now. Um, funny story though, I I saw on Twitter that there was going to be like a, a Bond story dropping and we were originally going to record this a day before uh but then we heard about this this bond story that's coming and so we thought okay we'll we'll hold off and we'll record it the next day today mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and then it turned out that this was the story uh which i mean i'm glad we got to talk about it but it's not exactly worth pausing the whole show for oh um, yeah for sure i mean kinda, it's, just, it's just funny. a cool little thing but it's yeah yeah no um i mean you've probably already heard about it if you if you're on twitter or on Reddit or something like that. But, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's pretty much that. Uh, the other big piece of Bond, like Bond news that we got this week uh, was the announcement in like the opening for pre-order for the, uh, the world is not an, I nearly said the words. I nearly said the words. I know the, the word. <laughs> fuck. I just said it again. The um, world, the world, <laughs> the world, the world, the world. There we go. This show the is really is not fucked enough. up. Our, 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 like, uh, I can't even appreciate know, the title of that film anymore. The world um, is not enough. Bond's I know. Family motto. But yeah, yeah no. So like, the world is not enough. Expanded score by David Arnold has, uh, 
Our Lord and Savior, David Arnold. Our Lord and Savior, the great divine composer, uh, David (laughs) Arnold, who has forsaken us. Um, But yeah, so he... They uh, through La La Land Records, they are releasing an expanded version of his score for "The World Is Not Enough." They did a previous one for "Die Another Day" a couple months mm-hmm. ago, uh, that was pretty popular, pretty well received. It was uh, excellently done. I I did buy that, and it's uh, well worth the film or well worth the money. And I, yeah. I did uh, I did pre-order the um, not even pre-order. I just ordered the uh, the the score for expanded score for "The World Is Not Enough." So I'm I'm really really looking forward to that because that's. One of my favorite David Arnold scores, and out of out mm. of the Brosnan era, I think it's probably my second favorite score. Yeah, no, for me too. It's like I, yeah. I really, I, mean, I don't know. I, I, I get tossed up. Like he, his work is so consistently good. Oh, that it's excellent. Yeah, it's sort of like picking uh, your favorite child. But I, I mean, first of all, I, I think Tomorrow Never Dies is his best score, and I'm hoping this means that we're going to like slowly progress back and get a Tomorrow Never Dies expanded score. Please, um, yeah, please. Because I mean, I kind of have one. I actually don't even remember how I got my hands on it. I think it's like a, it's like a, it was like a, like a studio recording or something. I found it like forever ago on some forum, and hmm. uh, downloaded that. And that's been kind of like my companion because it has like expanded versions of all the scores. But I'd like to buy a legitimate version of that, um, because it is such yeah. a fantastic score. But going back to the world. The world is not enough. God damn it! Um, <laughs> going back to the world is not enough. Expanded score. Uh, there are some really, really great tracks. What are the what, what, what tracks are you most excited to see uh, on this expanded version of the score, Griffin? Since oh you were man, uh, I'm chomping at the bit for it. Honestly, I'm really excited <laughs> to hear the uh, the demo. The world is not enough demo. Um, oh yeah, that David Arnold put together because I I don't know if I've ever that's ever been released or if like I. Or no, it hasn't been released. It's a previously unreleased track. So I'm like really no. curious to hear, um, you know, the original ideas going on there. Uh, honestly, I am just stoked out of my mind for the complete recordings of that intro because <laughs> uh, I have made it very, very clear that the opening to The World Is Not Enough is one of my favorite openings of a Bond film Um of all time, it's basically, if not it's my basically two openings stitched together. So, it, it, <laughs> right, it, and it works for me. It, it really does, uh, and and especially the gun barrel, dude. Oh my god, that is one, that is one of the best gun barrel walkout sequences, I think, mm-hmm. too. So, uh, yeah, I am thoroughly uh, looking forward to all of this. I mean, yeah, I could go in a little bit more detail into like specific tracks, but. Uh, I think yeah. it's going to be amazing. Um, I've got some. I've got a couple of tracks uh, that oh, I'm yeah, looking forward to. I have um, Bond has left the building, which is yeah, that was the, 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 yeah. the track where Bond jumps out the window. I have wanted a nice version of that for forever. Yeah. Um, it's brilliant. I, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but the world is not enough. Is my first Bond film, and I have the most vivid memory of Bond jumping out the window. Uh, like in um, Bill Bow, and yeah, that, 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 so like that score is like what I think of when I think of Bond, and like Pierce Brosnan sort of like repelling down the side of the building. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. And yeah. so yeah, th- 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 just for sentimental reasons, I really want to hear that track. It's also a really good rendition of the Bond theme. Um, mm-hmm. I've also got. Um, I'm also really looking forward to another like sort of very very small track really. Um, at the end of the scene, at the end of the movie, which is, um, I think it's only a couple seconds long from, is yeah, it's, it's called it? Sub Gets It, yeah, yeah, which is basically the little track that plays after Submarine, 
uh, on the original score, um, mm. but it's not on the score, where Bond and Christmas Jones eject themselves uh, through the torpedo tube. Yeah. Um, that little, like, yeah, just like the, the the climax of that is so good. I don't know why it was never included on Submarine. It seems to make, make sense. To, yeah. I guess there's already a bit of a climax to that track, and so... Um, they probably couldn't have included it, but uh, the um, the other two. Sorry, I just thought of two more that oh, I'm actually for really it. looking forward to are the extended version of the Caviar Factory. Oh yeah, with, because that's I think that's one of the best sequences in the entire film. And then the uh, the pipeline, the full like oh, mix pipeline, of the pipeline, yeah, classic. yeah, yeah. Great that's stuff. like a fan favorite track. Yeah, yeah. I um another track I'm looking forward to is uh, I will because you hear hints of it in the actual score, uh, in the the original release of the score. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a little motif, like, um, I guess it's like the, the plutonium slash Renard track. I think it's devil's breath on this, uh, release. Yeah. It's like the little dun, 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 you know the one? Oh um, yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah it's very yeah, subtle. Yeah. 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 I, um, I really like that. And actually, in fact, this is a weird, like, uh, another aside, another tangent, but, um, there's a very similar sounding track in the soundtrack for the first Uncharted video game, Drake's Fortune. Um, mm. And it plays, like, when you're in the, the submarine pen and all the deformed, like, zombie creatures are, like, attacking you. And well, right before that, you get attacked, and it's, like, slowly building up. And I always just noticed those tracks were, like, very similar. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, I think it's sort of stuck with me. So whenever I hear it in the movie, I'm like, ah, oh, that's a banging track. Uh, it's very slow, so maybe not banging, but sure. um, it's a good track. Uh, yeah, no, this is a great this is a great soundtrack and a really really cool um, idea. I hope they after they do Tomorrow Never Dies, I hope they do some of uh, his Craig films. I'd love to see Quantum of Solace expanded. Oh my god, um, please expand Quantum of Solace. I because the the, uh, the Casino Royale one is actually surprisingly expanded. Like it's pretty beefed up. Yeah, it's pretty beefed up. So I mean, we would realistically only be looking at a few tracks here and there for that one but dear be lord happy to get but yeah yeah but dear lord the quantum of solace one oh and then his bond 25 score hopefully gets an extended expended right uh, of course because he's <laughs> coming back we we can confirm that must, david arnold is coming back from must bond live 25. In, uh, well wasn't there a tweet that you saw that like, there was a tweet he someone was hope. asking about him coming back or, or to score the next bond film uh, he said something very cryptic. I don't remember what it was, but uh, wasn't it? Like, didn't he say something about like uh, like because he mentioned the world is not enough being his big thing, his big like announcement, and someone said, "Are you sure that's your big announcement?" And then he's like, "Well, I've got a couple of other ones up my sleeve." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah, that Which, sounds right. He could be talking about his new uh, project, uh, Good Omens, but he oh, might, right. in the that's context true. in the context of like a Bond thread, it does sort of seem to be hinting at maybe he's not quite done. Um, God, I would I hope, hope he's not. not. I hope. I feel like we get I one. feel like good old Carrie's gonna gonna bring him back on. He he understands that man's value and worth. Exactly. Finally, someone who does. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, no. So that's a great little thing. And I think it. Uh, yeah, you can pre-order it right now, and then it goes on sale and starts shipping out. I guess December third or something like that. Um, sometime early December, anyway. Some Next. point. It'll yeah, ship out next. at some point. But um, yeah, so check that out. And now our last story in uh, Q Branch is kind of just a little like tidbit, little fun fact. Um, Griffin, I actually think you know more of the backstory behind this than I do. Honestly, um, I don't. I just saw it. There was a, um, there's a, 
so the Tomorrow Never Dies video game uh, soundtrack. The beloved. Yeah, <laughs> the beloved, the beloved Tomorrow Never uh, Dies video game. Um, yeah, unfortunately, not a lot of people really revere that game, I don't think, because it followed up uh, GoldenEye, which yeah. was just a massive freaking hit. Like, even people who didn't, like, like James Bond just played that game because of how much fun it was. Um, mm-hmm. But it's interesting because... On the soundtrack for the game, there is a uh, second theme referenced as Tomorrow Never Dies 2. Um, so mm. in the, uh, and this is in the game's opening music credits, credits, uh, and the track was apparently officially titled Letter to Paris. Um, Which is a good name in, for a track. Right, it's a great great name for the track in the, the video game soundtrack, uh, but the song is actually never heard in the game. Um, although apparently the the developers like coded stuff for it, so it exists, but it just isn't used, um, yeah. and it's only featured on the official soundtrack as a bonus hidden track. Uh, it was written by the game's composer Tommy uh, Talarico, or yeah, Talarico, and is performed by Elaine Pava. It's about two minutes and forty seven seconds, and according to MI6, uh, the the home of James Bond, 007 News. Uh, it is one of the rarest Bond songs, and so there's and a. And um, it's not very good. It's not very good. <laughs> I it, it it really is quite dull, and I I'm just not that I'm disappointed because this is just something I didn't even know existed. So I was yeah. Like, oh, okay, cool. Um, but for those of you who enjoy, you know, a little bit of. Um, Bond rarities. This is this could be one for you to check yeah, and out. Yeah, and if it, you like the sound of like a, a of a woman singing underwater, then right, maybe right. this is for you. If you're a big fan yeah. of um, Fury's Only's, like like the 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 Sheena Easton song, yes, yes, maybe check that out. Maybe maybe give this one a listen. But uh, <laughs> yeah, as someone who's not a fan of that Bond song, I was thoroughly unimpressed so yeah. but it is interesting that they're uh you know you, you get little tidbits of this stuff here and there but anyways that's about it in terms of that song hell yeah and that that brings us to the end of q branch boom there we go boom, and done. uh as always guys be sure Not to let us know your thoughts and opinions on the Topics we discussed during Q Branch in the comment yes, section. Please of yell at me about Deadpool 2. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, well, that was in the news section. We're talking Q Branch here. Well, okay. uh, yell at me, yell me about Secret Cinema then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Must yell at me um, about something in every section. It's a requirement. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a requirement to yell at Brody. Um, one one quick thing I do want to note: the uh, the limited edition two CD set for the world is not enough. It's gonna be it's gonna run you about uh, twenty nine ninety eight in US dollars. Plus and, uh, $6 for shipping. Plus, yeah, $6 for shipping. There, There's like, a, I think about like 5,000 units or so. So uh, get your hands on that while you still can. They're starting to ship them out soon. I got my tracking info, so I'm very excited about that. Um, but as always, guys, that's going to do it for Q Branch, and we're going to move into our discussion segment, the one you've all been waiting for, Shaken But Heard. Now, I'm going to actually let Brody take the reins on this one a little bit because he's prompted this entire thing. And a lot ah, of the yes. topics we're going to discuss have really come up... Uh, uh, just through like the, the Bond films we've chosen to watch as of late for whatever reason. Uh, I know, Brody, you put up a couple polls on Twitter, which I'm sure we'll get to. But yeah. um, Brosnan, the Brosnan era, uh, the, the two films in the middle of his era that kind of get glossed over and kind of are considered to be the same. 
really aren't the same, are they? They're very. It's it's, it's really interesting actually, because like um, this seems to be a running like a bit of a meme among Bond fans. Um, it, so much so that even Pierce Brosnan kind of played into it. Um, in uh, the Everything or Nothing documentary, he sort of just said, oh, they all sort of run together after Goldeneye um, <laughs> uh, when he was talking about his experience. And then he, then he obviously very viv- vividly remembers Dine of the Day because they made him, um, like, surf on a, like, a fucking iceberg. Oh, but, yeah, hands <laughs> down, the worst moment in a Bond film Truly, ever. truly exceptionally bad. But um, maybe not as bad as the really bad effects of Blofeld's laser and Diamonds Are Forever. Um, and gives it a run for its money. It's yeah. pretty pretty rough, but pretty rough. yeah, no. Uh, there is a bit of a uh, of a of a sentiment that the world is not enough, and tomorrow never dies. Are basically interchangeable, kind of unremarkable, um, middling entries in the series. So I put a poll up because I've been I've been uh, engaging people on Twitter at engagement Twain Pod. <laughs> Twain pod. <laughs> Go give us a follow again. Go give us a follow uh, if you want to be engaged with. But, uh, yeah, I, I put up a poll basically just saying if you had to pick one of the two middle Brosnan films, which is the best? Tomorrow Never Dies and The World Is Not Enough. And it was pretty divided, to be honest. Um, especially for, for the longest time, it was pretty pretty split. But people came out in favor of Tomorrow Never Dies, which yes. is something I endorse. I believe that Tomorrow Never Dies is the better of the two. And, in fact, I think it is... Actually, pretty good. I watched it last night after the poll, um, because I was just in the. I was in a bit of a Brosnan mood after all this Brosnan talk, and honestly, yeah, I I don't understand a lot of people's issues with this film. Like it's it's yeah. not as good as Goldeneye, obviously. No, no. Um, and there are some like kind of hokey bits in there, but not not in a way that I think is unacceptable for a Bond film. I think, you know, like, there's always going to be some little, like, little goofy moments. There's even goofy moments in Goldeneye. Like... No, sure, yeah. Yes, I I honestly don't know what people were expecting when they saw this. Well, I think it's it's interesting (laughs) because I, you know, what prompted this discussion was I went back and I wanted to watch The World Is Not Enough because... For whatever reason, that's my comfort food when I don't know what to watch. And it's very, very odd. I don't know why. It's not like I I didn't necessarily grow up watching that film the most out of Bond films, but I've just become very attached to it for whatever reason. I, I quite enjoy it, even yeah. despite its um, convoluted and, and mixed nature, which I will admit it, it does have uh, its fair share of issues. But um, so we watched that and I was talking about, you know, like, oh, gosh, I love this one. And then you were talking about how because I think you watched Tomorrow Never Dies recently and then watched it again. Correct. Well, I watched it. OK, so this is the thing. I watched it. Um, oh, this would have been. It was like a summer. couple months ago. Yeah, yeah it was over the was. summer. Yeah. 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 And I watched it and. We were talking a bit about how... Um, okay, so this is a little fun fact that I found out. that Because um, I mentioned to Griffin, I said, wow, the Tomorrow Never Dies is actually a really nice-looking film. Oh, it's incredibly um, well shot. Yeah. It, it, yeah, I was just like, like this, this movie's really much better looking than it has any right to be, um, <laughs> considering it's just like a, a, a big blockbuster action movie from the 90s. Yeah. Uh, they weren't exactly known for it being like artistically expressive back then. But... Then I looked into it, and I, I can't believe I didn't know this, but uh, the, the the cinematographer for the movie is actually um, Robert Ellswit, who um, is the cinematographer for um, 
like there will be blood and a bunch of other like Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Mm-hmm. And he's done, a, I think he's basically done all of George Clooney's movies. He's won like, um, he's been in, like, nominated for Oscars and BAFTAs and independent spirit awards. Mm-hmm. And, um, like really accomplished a career. And so I was kind of blown away that he just did a Bond movie and that no one talks about it. Cause we always talk about, um, yeah. like obviously Roger Deakins and, Obviously, um, Hoyt Van Hoytema with the, the, the most recent two. But, yeah, I, I think it's a gorgeous-looking film. And so, anyway, I initially brought this up and I said, hey, isn't it weird how Tomorrow Never Dies it has a really cinematic, like, really nice-looking film, and then The World Is Not Enough kind of looks like it was shot on a soundstage? Yeah, it's, um, a, little glo- it's a glossier. Uh, you can feel. I feel like you can feel... Well, it's interesting. If you go through the progression of the Brazen films, the like Goldeneye definitely feels like it could be a Timothy Dalton film, especially mm-hmm. in its like grimy aesthetic, and it it definitely feels like still like the remnants of the Cold War because that's when it was taking place. And then you move on to Tomorrow Never Dies, where it looks like we're finally entering the modern age. Um, they they there's definitely I at least I feel there's more money behind it, and then plus there's uh you know, the cinematographer who's just excellent. And then you move on to the world is not enough where it's like they put even more money into it and we're entering the early two thousands and it kind of has that aesthetic to it. And then we get to die another day, which Jesus Christ. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't even, they they like went full on MTV with that one. It is very overproduced. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like they dumped too much money into it and they just had to show how much money they dumped into it. Well, that's the thing though. I think almost like the more, actually, I actually, I disagree. I think they don't, I think they, they begin to look cheaper. I think you well, they do look cheaper, but I think it's because they're doing more. They look like expensive films, just the way they're shot. You really see every cent. I think, Tomorrow, uh, the world is not enough, but more so, Dying of the Day look very cheap. Um, and I think, but they're but not I'll cheap films, what, obviously. But just something about them is very amateurish in terms of the, their aesthetic. I think it's because they're dealing with new, like like millennial technology that was emerging at the time. They really wanted to like try and push the boundaries in terms of that stuff because that, that's kind of what they were doing with uh, with Die Another Day. As, as as awful as a lot of those CG sequences look in there. At the time, it was kind of cutting edge stuff, you know. Like, like no one was necessarily doing stuff like that other than Star Wars. And George Lucas is always on the brink of that sort of thing, so no one's ever going to match that level. So, I, I think, weirdly enough, I think at the time it looked pretty bad, though. I don't know, but I, I, mean, I don't know. I, I don't even, remember even, it too much. But, but even in terms of, but you're right. In terms of a Bond film, I think they were definitely pushing the envelope because there really was no CGI in the previous Bond films, right? And, um, and so I think like yeah. the world is not enough and die another day from a production standpoint um and even cinematography standpoint was a little more experimental um i don't know about experimental though i think i think like i I think they look when i say they look cheap i don't mean like oh they didn't actually spend any money on these old like the set pieces look bad because i mean give them all the shit you want they look like all the all the action stuff all that is very very well oh absolutely highly produced very very top-notch stuff um I just mean more in terms of like the way the film is lit, the way the film is shot. Um, and I, well, I, and that, this, is, this is kind of what I was tying into um, when I was discussing, like when I initially watched it, my, my sort of, when I was juxtaposing them. Uh, so you have Tomorrow Never Dies, which was directed by uh, Roger Spottiswood. And he, I mean, not, not, not the most like well-known director of all time, but he is definitely a director. He's a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think him t- teamed up with um, uh, Elswip 
sort of give the movie a very it, it's very steeped in cinematic language um, I mean, yeah, as all the Bond it, films are, but it looks like, you know, you've got a lot of like shallow depth of feel, yeah. uh, field, you've got a lot of like sort of the, 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 I mentioned it before as well on Twitter that I'm going to keep plugging this freaking Twitter, but, um, that I would love a James Cameron Bond film and rewatching this last night. I kind of feel like we may have got it already with this movie. A little um, bit. Uh, you in, could also refer to like, True Lies as the, <laughs> right. As yeah. The I mean, yeah. and that's, uh. That definitely was his stab at doing a film like that. But in terms of like, Tomorrow Never Dies has a very like James Cameron aesthetic. And what I mean by that is like, in terms of like 90s action movies, his was the best looking, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least they very much defined the, like, the aesthetic. And Tomorrow Never Dies definitely follows in that like trend of you've got a lot of like sort of uh, like the floodlights with the um, like a bit of the lens flare with the high, uh, the, 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 the dense blacks and like the, like the contrasting colors. Oh yeah. And like everything about the way is the film is lit and shot just feels a bit like It's that. like nineties um, action. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. But, it, but not in a cheap way. It doesn't feel like a, no, 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 no. it's not, movie. it's not it feels, like a superficial, like, like, a, like a James Cameron movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Got some, it's got some filmmaking credentials behind it. Uh, whereas the wall is not enough. Um, is directed by uh, Michael Apted, who is a very accomplished documentary maker. He did the Up series, if you're familiar with those, uh, and uh, he's he's more steeped in in documentary filmmaking. And I kind of feel like that shows in the way tomorrow, the world is not enough is shot. Um, we're really going into the weeds here, by the way. Um, sorry if you're tuning out, but uh, yeah, it, it's kind of shot in a way that he shot for coverage because as a documentarian, he kind of would assemble his films in the edit and you sort of don't have a scripted um, material to work with. So you just, you shoot everything and then you put it together later on. And that's kind of how I feel like The World Is Not Enough is shot. It's shot with, um, like, there's a lot of exposure, like like in terms of lighting, because you've got to, just in case something happens, you've got to have high exposure. Um, A a lot of, like, sort of, um, like, the, the, the field is very, very, like narrow, oh, not narrow, wide. Um, I don't know. It, 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 it makes it look less cinematic to my eyes in any case. Um, the camera's a little more sort of just plonk down and just follow the action. Whereas there was some interesting sort of camera movements in the world, in Tomorrow Never Dies. But um, that's just the filmmaking stuff. Don't want to get too bogged down in that. Um, but I've, I've always thought that Tomorrow Never Dies was just more of a film film than The World Is Not Enough. In terms of like a... The in terms the, of the craft, craftsmanship. Yeah. yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. I agree with you, especially after rewatching Tomorrow Never Dies recently. Uh, well, rewatching both films, but um, dude, there are some cool shots in like, Tomorrow Never Dies. Like all the shots of like Elliot Carver's eyes with the reflection of the screen. Oh, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's yeah, dope. it's great it's stuff. Dope. Oh my god. I, I think <laughs> I think what it is is like you've got the two films in the middle here, and each one is like they're they're very much like the end of the '90s. But, like, one is leaning a little bit more towards, like, the GoldenEye kind of thing with Tomorrow Never Dies. Because it feels... Because... Or, I'm sorry. With, yeah, with Tomorrow Never Dies. Because Tomorrow Never Dies feels like the logical progression from GoldenEye. Just a little bit nicer, I guess. Because GoldenEye is a very, like, uh, dirty and grimy looking film. Um, mm-hmm. n- not saying that it's it's a bad looking film. It just no, it's uh, a very nice looking film. It, yeah, it feels it looks more like one of the Dalton era films. No, yeah, no, you're right. It has like like, like it's yeah. kind of just like a grimy kind of feel to it. Um, right, the, the the blacks are kind of crushed. That kind of thing. 
Right. And so Tomorrow yeah. Never Dies uh, cleans it up a little bit, but it's still kind of like, it's still a grounded film. Um, it's still, it, I, I still feel like that movie could take place like in the real world. Whereas like you get to the world is not enough where it's kind of in the same line, but it's like definitely leaning more towards like the, uh, the die another day end of it. And the early two thousands end of it. They, they definitely, um, you know, try and go super, uh, big with it with um, you know Electra and they kind of delve back into the Roger Moore silliness a little bit actually that was the one thing I noticed upon rewatching was because mm-hmm. um, I've always loved the world is not enough and I'm not the biggest fan of the Roger Moore era love the man I appreciate what he did it's just I I don't those aren't the films mm. I necessarily go back to the most um, but in the world is not enough Brosnan is I mean he's very much his own he's he's yeah. being kind of uh, you know the Brosnan, Brosnan Bond we all know and love, but the, but the movie has so many elements of a Roger Moore film, and I think you were talking to this a little bit. It's almost like a, a tonal mismatch of what's going on because the film's trying to be very serious in the subject mm-hmm. matter and what it's talking. I mean, everything with Electra is dealing with like, um, what, what, what like is Stockholm that? syndrome? Yeah, so- and, Stockholm yeah, syndrome, yeah. um, and and abuse, and you know she has her like family issues and whatnot, like and so it's compelling character stuff. But I think the way it's approached in some of the elements in there, specifically like I'll use this as an example, like the flying skis, like the 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 the, um, the oh, snowmobiles the, um, the pa- the, with the, the parachutes, the which is a totally yeah. silly design, which reminds me of something that would come out of the Moore era. Um, it's like when you when you have elements like that, and then like um, who's that the the gold teeth dude who's oh, like literally Mr. The, Bullion yes the, who is literally the mm. worst henchman like <laughs> ever I mean I, I don't even know what the heck he is he looked like he stepped out all, out of the set of like a um like an MTV music video I guess which just proves my point that Die Another Day really made the full transition into MTV territory but yeah. <laughs> um I mean he's he's like wacky out there a little bit um there are, you know, to some extent, like I, as much as I love the, uh, the 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 factory sequence with the helicopter with the blades, like that's totally like super spy, fantasy spy type stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, no, no, for no sure. one in real life is gonna have a helicopter with giant chainsaw blades hanging from it. And so it's like these little things Which that is really fun. stand it, out. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh, it's, it's great. I I love. It just contrasts a bit awkwardly yeah. with all the very serious character drama stuff. Exactly, and so and, and yeah. so that kind of goes back to the word "world is not enough" being a little bit of a mixed bag. It's like trying to, you know, cover both territories. Whereas when you look at something like "Tomorrow," "Tomorrow Never Dies," which I think the biggest fault of "Tomorrow Never Dies" is that it's just very middle of the road. It's very flat. It doesn't See, dive I know, deep. I, I don't into know the themes. I, I don't know if I buy that though, because I mean, I think it dives deep into its ideas as much as any I think other it's unremarkable. prior it, it, it's, Bond film. Like, yeah. I, I, I just think, and, and, and like, it's got like standout set pieces. I don't know what about it could be seen as unremarkable. You know what I mean? Like, you, we, we had another poll about um, car, car, like like gadget laden car chases. Um, yeah. And the winner of that one was, in fact, uh, and I happen to agree with this, the uh, remote control car from uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, absolutely. It was very close with the Lotus. It was, like, neck and neck. Um, But I think, like, that's a a standout scene and probably the best use of, like, 
a gadget-laden car that we've ever gotten in terms of, like, the application of the gadgets. Like, we got to see every, all right. the gadgets do more than one thing multiple times, and it all sort of tied together really nicely for a nice little sequence. Um, but, like, that's a standout moment. You've got uh, Elliot Carver just eating the scenery. Yeah, um, I mean, he's a hand... I mean, he's definitely... My biggest problem with Elliot Carver is... He's so stereotypical Bond villain, but like at the same time, Jonathan Price knows that he's a stereotypical Bond villain, so he really plays into it and makes the character better than he would be otherwise, um, or more right, delicious, if I may, uh, than he would yeah, be exactly. otherwise. But but once again, going back to how I think Tomorrow Never Dies is just such a surface level movie, they don't necessarily give him the depth I w- that you would get in a character like Elektra. Um, even Wei Lin, who... I, I really enjoyed the fact that there, there were two government agencies working together to, uh, you know, accomplish a task that was going to affect both of their governments. I really liked that integration, but at the same time, she feels a little bit pointless other than, you know, to have the two Bond girl staple, which was a staple of the Brazen era. I would have much preferred Paris be in the film the entire time because I love Terry Hatcher in the film. <laughs> um, and even aside from that, I would have um, rather Paris be Natalia, which would have been a great way to link in Goldeneye. Yeah, we've just you know? sort of discussed a bit of that before. Yeah, it's like, right, um, right. I think, I don't know, I think I don't think Waylon's any more disposable or useless than... Like any of the other times we've done uh, this same sort of World War Three plot, with um, like you have uh, Kissy Suzuki in You Don't Live Twice, and you have um, Anya in uh, The Spy Who Loved Me. I think yeah. they're both I mean, just as integral to the plot. I mean, like the idea is that, that you have the Chinese and the Amer- and the British being pitted against each other, so you kind of need. A representative from China, so it's not just like Bond saves the world again, like on his right. own. I don't know. I feel like that adds it adds something. It's not necessary, but nothing is necessary really. No, in I mean, that, and that's true. Like, and she's she's definitely not as bad as like say Christmas Jones, who is definitely mm. abysmal. But what I will say about Christmas Jones, and we talked about this a little bit, was I don't think she's a poorly written character. She's completely unnecessary, and I would have much rather just had her not be in the film and focus solely on the relationship between Elektra and Bond, because I think that's some powerful stuff going on there. Um, I just think that it's Denise Richards who completely blows up the character and makes her worse than she really is. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's the thing. She was definitely written as a smarter character than she ends up coming across as, just based on the performance, but... Right. I mean, at the end of the day, you can't give him props for writing it well, but not delivering it well. It was kind no, of... No, I, I... She and I kind of that. ruins I, the... And then she yeah. does have some kind of weird lines as well. So, like, um, I mean, again, we're not, like... I'm not being too harsh on her. Whatever. Um, I'm not going to lose sleep over the fact that Christmas Jones is in a movie, but... Um, yeah. And, and I think I, in I terms of... S- Waylon actually got, like, some action and, like, she got to do some stuff. No, she and, definitely did. I mean, she's she is definitely... Useful. She's the prototypical, like, Bond meets his match kind of Bond girl, but she's definitely better than Jinx. Like, oh my god, yeah, Jinx is an abysmal character as well, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's just, and, and I, I definitely don't think Wei Lin is a bad character. She just comes across as unnecessary in the film. Um, is she more, and, and is she more really unnecessary a- than any of the other Bond girls? Like, really? I just don't think that's. A, I don't think that's a real worthwhile yeah. criticism you know what I mean like and that's how I feel is. like what about this movie is disposable maybe maybe it didn't like grab you but I don't think it's like a forgettable film I think well I, I, I think, watching the pl- it, I think it's just very cl- more so than just, the world is not enough you know like, well I, I think more so than the world is not enough uh 
it's just a very it's a very paint by numbers Bond film. Even though it does pose some very interesting themes, and I think it's incredibly it, maybe not incredibly well. Yeah, I'll say incredibly. It's an incredibly yeah, well made film. Um, and uh, the opening is excellent. I uh, mm-hmm. the opening the white the whole White Knight opening is very edge of your seat tense stuff. Oh, it's one it of my features. Yeah. It features Pierce and what is my favorite uh, outfit of his, which is that yeah. leather jacket with the Ooh, fucking yeah. slick hair and everything, filthy habit. Oh, I love that so much. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, there's a lot to the movie that I like. I mean, you know, the, we talked about the pacing. I think the pacing is excellent. Oh, I think it's one of the, the best movie, paced Bond movies. It just, I agree. It just moves. by. You just, it just, you, you start right. and then, I mean, especially for a plot like this where you're doing like, you know, building up on the brink of war kind of thing. Um, uh-huh. I, I, it just, it just zips along. You never feel like, oh, they're wasting time here. Like you feel like no, there's it, urgency to everything that's going on. Um, and I think sure. I mentioned this before. Uh, I think in terms of if you're going to do the big World War Three plot, I think of all the different times that Bond has done this, this is the time, the one time that it felt like war was legitimately going to be imminent. And if Bond and Waylon don't act now, uh, regardless of whether or not they stop Elliot, these two countries are going to go to war. And yeah. it, you, I think and it, it helps where you like they're in the ocean and the navy and the the uh, the air force are like approaching each other, and there's like this sort of uh, ticking clock. I don't know. It, it felt way more effective. Like I, the movie does very much have a ticking clock feel to it. Yeah, which like I, which I, I when do you watch like. the Spy Who Loved Me, which again is a fantastic film and probably a better film than this overall. Um, but when you watch it, you never really think like, oh well, if if they don't. I mean, maybe it's a bad example uh, because. The, the goal there wasn't so much war as it was like mutually assured destruction. But um, right. when you I mean, watch like they, you only live twice, you never really think like, well, America and China will be at war if Bond doesn't do this. Like obviously, that's that's a, it's the, definitely more cartoony. The, whereas like this is, yeah, yeah. Well, right, not even, not even like cartoony. It's like the implication is there, and you understand it intellectually that oh, if Bond fails, then there's World War Three. But there's never really like a, a tangible example of this is going to happen. And I, right. to its credit, Tomorrow Never Dies really gives you that like, if Bond and Waylon fail, we, 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 you're watching the Navy and they're going to open fire. And you, you, kinda, you know it's not going to happen because it's a Bond film, but there's like mm-hmm. a little part of you where it's like, this is intense. Like, it's, oh, I sure, yeah, yeah. I think it's really well executed. Um, and I know some people have a, an issue with it repeating that same plot, but... I don't know. I think it did a pretty good job with it. it did a good job updating it. I think it, it just I, no. I and I agree. It, we, given the the cliche nature of the World War Three Bond plot, this, um, it it did it well. Like it's it's a serviceable film. I I and I think it's a good film. Even yeah. I I just think it's unremarkable uh, because it doesn't really it, it poses a lot of interesting questions, especially in terms of like you know uh, media, uh, you know, uh, and and all that stuff, and people who run the media. Um, actually, mm-hmm. a lot of topics that are very relevant today. And in fact, I would say that this film is better today oh, than it was so back well, then yeah. because of how relevant it is. Um, the fake news bond. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so I think my my biggest problem is is they have these really unique set pieces and these interesting this interesting commentary on the media and they just kind of play it safe with it they never dive too deep into like carver's motivations he's just he's just a you know um a power hungry media mogul who wants uh to but, but here's rule. the thing like yeah. I, but i think in terms i think like in terms of if we're going to dive into the commentary of the film again we're going to get into the weeds but um I, I don't know if it needs to be that complex. I think the idea It doesn't of, need to be, I mean, but it doesn't it's, need to be, but I, I, I don't think it necessarily harms 
the commentary that the film is making or the point it's trying to make, if any point at all. But um, I think, like, the idea that someone would start a war for money is a pretty... Is a pretty like, like relevant and not so far fetched of an idea, especially when it comes to the media. Like, not even like like obviously this is an extreme because it's a Bond film. We're taking it to like the extreme of he's going to start a war and he's you know mm-hmm. going to kill people. But the idea that the media is more interested in profit than it is in um, any kind of like you know kind of journalistic integrity in terms of you know presenting the facts and not putting its thumb on the scale so to speak. Um, mm. I feel like that's a really interesting point. Like the idea that profit is more important than f- like truth um, is a very real concern. And I As agree. someone who studies this stuff, it's like, it, it, I feel like it's yeah. a very, that's a very re- like real thing. And then the movie presents it in a way that's like, obviously it's a heightened version of that because it's a Bond film. But yeah. um, I don't think Elliot's motivations needed to be any more complex than he's a rich guy and he wants to be richer. And right. he wants to, I, I just feel he, like he will he, use his platform to exploit the situation to enrich himself and to like basically monopolize the market. I right, think that's a really I, good, good bond motivation, good bond villain motivation that I don't think we needed to know like, Oh, he has like a tortured backstory. I think his relationship with Paris is, I wish they had probably like, continued that a little bit further into like the second act but um that is one of like the things when like she's killed off very fast she's killed off and then like no one really mentions her again um and i i I would be nice if they sort of brought that up again and invoked that uh but jonathan price plays that scene really well where he's like very conflicted about the uh, he's conflicted but he's not deterred he is uh going to kill his wife and that little moment where you sort of just see him with the really eerie music and he's sitting in in the um in the broadcast room, like in mm. the situation room. Um, and he's just sort of sitting there with the lights reflecting off of his face. And I think that's really good. And I th- like, it was enough depth where, depth where I'm like, this is an actual character, but not so much depth that like, it's like, Oh, uh, distracted from the fact that this is a Bond film. It's a kind of a fun, lighthearted Bond film. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, it, I think it does exactly what it's designed to do perfectly. Um, it's, it does. It, it, I just, I, yeah, I would I have know. liked it. More so than have... The World Is Not Enough. I think The World Is Not Enough tries to juggle too many. It, it's more ambitious, but it juggles so many balls and it it gets really messy in the right. middle there. And yeah, that's I admire the, and it's, the, it's, it's, I admire it's, uh, it trying to strive to be a bit more. I just think it took on too much. Kind of like Spectre a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I think World Is yeah. Not Enough did it better personally um there's my hot take of the day uh no. so, <laughs> i don't know if that's a hot take i think um, they, maybe yeah they're maybe both it's pretty, not but they're, pro- they're both pretty unpopular films in the canon and i, that's I think true. people probably prefer walls on enough um i i think the difference between the two is where tomorrow never dies was a little too cliched and played it safe and i i get what you're saying about carver and whatnot i i still think that he's just very he he real realistically is a just stereotypical Bond villain, but there is potential for him to be more than that. And I just would have liked mm. more of that. And then I also, and then I still, I like, I, I do understand what you're saying that the, that the, the commentary is there. I just don't think it was, I, I just still think it's, it's all very surface level when the film, I think has a little bit more interesting things to say, but that's, that's what I'm going to say about that. Uh, I don't know. About that. I know. Yeah, that's yeah. Fine. We're but, never um, going to agree on it. You <laughs> bastard. So uh, you know, we're, um, in terms of the world is not enough. Um, I think that 
you're but I right. Think that it's just as cliched as Tomorrow Never Dies. If it is, I, I'm road. not saying like, it's right. Yeah, and I'm not saying I, it's not a cliched so I, film. I mean, it, it does try to do ambitious things, but I think everything that you're saying is wrong with Tomorrow Never Dies is also wrong with World Is Not Enough. And then I some. see, I see, but I think like, the characters <laughs> in the World Is Not Enough are more. Uh, there's more to them. I mean, maybe not like Renard is is very much stereotypical terrorist, but at least Electra, who is really the key component there. Uh, and I agree um, that Electra is more complex than Elliot Carver or anything like that. Um, right, or, or even um, either Waylon or Paris. But I don't know. I, I again, I I like the world is not enough. I don't think I don't think there's a big degree of difference between the two movies. It's very marginal. It is very marginal. Yeah. Um, I just think. Well, the Swarm of Dice is cleaner. But yeah, continue your point. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, no, no. You're fine. Y- yeah, I I think, um, and we were talking about this a little bit. I think as a film, Tomorrow Never Dies is probably the better film. It's a little more, like, it's tighter. It's more focused. Um, and it the, the pacing is excellent, whereas opposed to The World Not Enough, there's plenty of moments that just kind of drag a little bit, despite the fact that I enjoy it. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think from a filmmaking perspective, going back to that, Tomorrow Never Dies definitely is the better made film. But... In terms of characters um, and interesting, uh, just interesting things they do with characters, I think that the world and not en- is not enough. Definitely outdoes Tomorrow Never Dies. Now they definitely te- <laughs> they they telegraph Electra and they telegraph that whole thing, which is whatever. But I think I mean as a um, kid it blew me away. I mean I didn't expect course. it. Of course, but yeah. um, but I mean we we can't overlook like Valentine's Redemption. Um, I think that's an excellent way to tie up a character that was introduced in Goldeneye, uh, mm-hmm. and it pays off for me. And I I think from an action set piece point of view, uh, I think the world is not enough has better action set pieces. Uh, see, but I don't know. I don't, I I again I I don't want to like say oh, I'm right and you're wrong because obviously it's a matter of opinion. Yeah. Um, I think the action. Well, I think the action in Tomorrow Never Dies. I think because it's shot better, it just. I, I I get into it more. Like that's fair. Yeah, I really like I really like the the, the concept of the um the caviar factory, and I think it's a actually it, it's a good scene. I'm not, oh, I'm not saying lo- like a whole, yeah. I'm not saying the world's not enough is shot like trash or anything. It's it's still competently made. Um, mm-hmm. but I, something like um. I don't know something like the the, the Hong Kong bike shop. Fight yeah, that bike is chase way is way more yeah. like riveting to me than that, just because of the way it's shot and the, the energy of it. And I mean, it helps that um, uh, Michelle Yeoh is doing the stunt. Oh, she's and you excellent. Can see yeah. her doing it; she's incredible. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I and then going back to your thing, because uh, you sort of said your biggest disappointment with Elliot is that he is he has a ton of potential, but it never really pays off. Mm-hmm. See, for me, I feel like they never really set him up to be anything more than he's a villain. He's got some interesting, like, sort of plot details to him, especially, like, in retrospect. Um, all that media stuff is interesting. Um, well, you're, cable, and you're... The cable you're news right. stuff. Yeah, but you're right, I think, but he's... But I think, the, I think Tomorrow Never... Do- I'm sorry, I, I think The World Is Not Enough sets up more interesting stuff. Again, because it's so ambitious. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it fully pays off on a lot of it. Like, not in a way that's, like... Because, yeah, they they do... Uh, posit these more interesting versions of the characters like Bond is definitely more conflicted in this movie than he is in Tomorrow Never Dies Yeah, at least he's presented to be that way but at the end of the day I don't think he ever really like fulfills that promise neither does I mean Electra a little bit but at the end of the day she still becomes a cackling evil woman who runs up the stairs taunting Bond you know what I mean like I, I think there are there are definitely more shades to 
to her as a character and there's definitely more shades to bond as a character but i don't think it's like that much deeper i don't think they fully commit to a lot of these ideas in in the same way that like they eventually would in like the the craig era um, right. Well, again, I mean, that, you, you could not, say that for for both films. I think, but you could definitely um, say that for both films. But I think the difference is, the world is not enough is trying to do that, and I don't think Tomorrow Never Dies is. So I don't think Tomorrow Never Dies. I, I, don't, I don't know if I can fault Tomorrow Never Dies for not being deeper because it's not really trying to be. Whereas the world is not enough is very obviously trying to be, and it never really quite reaches that level. It's still deeper than Tomorrow Never Dies, but it's still not quite as deep as I think it wants to be. Well, and I think uh, it really utilizes it M well as as well. Like, she definitely has more of an integral role in, like, the guilt that she's kind of carrying throughout the for entire sure, film. For sure, yeah. And I mean, th- like, there, like, again, there's, there's interesting stuff in there, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, and I like it. It just... I, that's just me. I mean, I, I can't tell you you're wrong. But, um, well, and, and yeah. I, I am agreeing with you. I think Tomorrow Never Dies is the better film from a, a, from a, a filmmaking and even storytelling perspective. I just think that the the tomorrow never dies kind of stays at, at like a very at like a flat line the entire time it doesn't really go to it doesn't dip too low it doesn't dip too high whereas like the world is not enough to me when it the the stuff it really hits that are high are some of the peak bras and stuff but for every one of those there is one that kind of dips down and so yeah it's definitely more inconsistent but I think I just appreciate it for having something more interesting to stay than just being a, a, a you know just like a kind of straightforward and uh, for yeah, lack of a better I mean, words forgettable it, film because I, I, I do think for Tomorrow Never Dies is a little is pretty forgettable I don't know if The World Is Not Enough does have anything more to say though I think I don't know. Well, I'm not but, saying like like super deep con- like subtextually. I'm just talking about in terms of like character. But even in terms um, of character stuff, writing. I think I think there's there's more there, but I don't think it. I think in terms of subtext, the Tomorrow Never Dies, whether intentional or not, has way more to say. It does, um, but it doesn't so it go it, anywhere with it though. That's but it the does thing. though. It kind of takes it to its uh, logical conclusion. Um, I don't know. Also, this is a fun fact about Tomorrow Never Dies. Since we're like, uh, I, I was sort of surprised by the caliber of talent behind the film. Um, uh-huh. Obviously, um, initially with the cinematographer um, Robert Ellswith, uh, Ellswith. But um, also, did like, for for the Star Trek fans in our um, in our audience, if there are any, uh, apparently it was co-written by Nicholas Meyer, who uh, did like Wrath of Khan and Undiscovered Country, and mm-hmm. like pretty much all the good um, original series like star trek movies mm-hmm. um but yeah he was a, he was an uncredited co-writer which i didn't realize it just blows my mind how yeah. many people were involved with this movie yeah um, yeah no i i um i mean tomorrow it's it's a great like i said i i i am agreeing with you i think tomorrow never dies <laughs> is the better film i just i i think <laughs> oh, i, I, mean, I wasn't that, saying that to like one up you or anything no i know you're <laughs> just pulling out like, well he done. wrote wrath of god so it's a better yeah, yeah. film so fuck you no um right no 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 yeah no, not to one up you uh just but that just is like one extra tidbit i wanted to get out real quick no 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 for <laughs> sure um I mean, you know, we can we can compare certain things. For instance, here, um, like uh, let's start with the openings. I think the world is not enough has the most incredible opening out of the Brosnan era. Ah, uh, well, okay, that opening in GoldenEye is pretty incredible. And actually, oh, yeah. yeah, it has. Okay, I think well, there's a cooler stunt in the world is not enough's opening uh, compared to Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, but I think Tomorrow Never Dies again, like like the whole film is just tighter. It's t- it's opening scene sets up. Um, the Admiralty, which is going to play a role in the rest of the film. It sets up, uh, like, Henry Gupta. It sets up 
all of this like all this stuff that's going to be relevant later without being directly tied like the, the the encoder that sort of stuff yeah but it's also a fun little action scene with a really cool like special effect and um again the world's not enough is really cool but it's kind of a bloated opening scene it's really good but it's really long too Man, like i said it's two scenes it basically like stitched together calling it bloat- it, i'm not well, dissing it maybe bloated is the wrong word it, the bloated bloated is the wrong word it is it is jam-packed there you go i think it's it exhilarating and it is i exhilarating. think it's, it's one of my favorite scene. it's one of oh, my favorite sure. david arnold uh scored sequences i think the mm. only thing that tops it truthfully is for me <laughs> is um uh african rundown in casino royale which is just oh perfect that, that is, is an incredible track that is an incredible chase that is the greatest chase in the bond series so <laughs> uh go ahead fight me on that one but Whoa. for me i think the world is not enough takes the cake in terms of opening i love that and plus it's a boat chase how often do we get to see boat chases in a bond film that's so fucking cool you know what i was actually thinking when i was doing that uh that twitter poll about the um the gadget laden cars yeah. i almost included the the q boat as like a gadget laden vehicle because it is basically it is, a gadget yeah. re- like gadget car except it's a boat um but then it even drives on land so who knows right um well, yeah, no, just, you're, you're right. It is a really good scene. I um, I mean, like, I'm not going to say one's shit and one's good. They're both very good. I think I just, I like how how much, how hard the Tomorrow Never Dies scene is working to set up the rest of the movie. No, um, and yeah, I get yeah. it. It's all, you, right. And also it's, just like, I, I, nothing I, nothing beats that, like, um, the when he flies out of the explosion, is and then oh, after, yeah. then when he ejects the guy into the other vehicle, he's like, "Tell the admiral, ask the admiral where he wants his bombs delivered," and like, it's just like <laughs> yeah. the most shit-eating line ever. Oh, it's it's great. Like I <laughs> I think um, in terms of tomorrow never dies, like the. I, well, I mean, we'll we'll go to David Arnold's score. I think David Arnold's score is like what, what was it? We were talking about the the um, the climax, and actually, that's the next thing I want to get ah, to. Yes. I know we're kind of scatterbrained all over the place here, of but course, the, yeah. the climax for both films. We're not I always think, like this, I swear. Right, right, right. <laughs> I think we agreed that the world is not enough is probably a better climax, but the Tomorrow Never Dies one fucks really hard. Yes. Like it is like like James Bond, Pierce Brosnan becomes a straight up John Woo action hero, mm-hmm. and it's a little it, it kind of dips a little too much into that 90s action but once again the whole film had been a 90s action sequence so it didn't bother me really yeah but the score for that climax man is david arnold unchained he is a madman during that it's unbelievable unbelievable yeah. <laughs> no it, it, it's a thing that that whole score is unbelievable it's like like there's leaving it all on the field and then there's david arnold's score to tomorrow never dies <laughs> because legitimately you can tell he's you can tell he's always wanted to make a bond film score and yeah you can also tell that he thinks this is his only chance and so he's getting <laughs> so all he out leaves. there yeah, yeah i think um in, in terms of the it, every track no, yeah fucks. yeah like, it's, just, it's so oh exhilarating like uh the one that you're talking about that i um well obviously the climax is great um oh, and man. uh it, it it is really just the culmination of the entire score david arnold is just blowing his load for lack of a better uh, term but very um, vulgar this right this is episode. a very vulgar episode <laughs> in terms of talking about scores blowing his load <laughs> but um the one that you uh pointed out to me that I, I i hadn't really listened to in some time was the the hamburg escape yes um, which, which is um which actually that entire sequence is really really good the where, oh he, where he's escaping the the newspaper facility 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is the thing. So, like, I don't know if this was on... Uh, I, I don't know if this was on the official... Because, again, I, I mentioned earlier, I have this, like, sort of, like, studio recording thing I found on a forum, like, a decade ago. Yeah. Um, so, it's, like, really expanded. But for Hamburg Escape, it has the entire, like, Bond escaping the facility. And then it has that really great acoustic, like, um, like James Bond theme that plays as he's, like, walking through the um, the reams of paper. Yeah. And yeah. then it plays, like, the, the as he, like, rolls out on the little trolley and rolls out of the thing. And then the little track that plays as he's driving to the hotel room and he's on the phone with Elliot. That yeah. whole sequence, the music for that is probably the best rendition of the James Bond theme that has ever been committed to film yeah. or to, like, any kind of audiophile. Um <laughs> it's unbelievable and that's part of the reason why I want a an expanded um like Tomorrow Never Tomorrow Dies Never Does. Yeah. Like, soundtrack what, what I was going to say was that, like he uses the James Bond theme so liberally in this movie it's everywhere it's like, every 10 seconds yeah. and it's so nice like because there's another really good rendition of it in the finale when uh, when he's dual wielding the guns which is oh it's so ridiculous but it's great it's over the top and um but yeah there's a really great version of it there there's a really great version of it during the bike chase it's just it's bike chase it's is excellent so yeah. Good. yeah and that's another great, great action scene um yeah oh my god and then, like, them jumping over the... How can you not like the action scenes in this movie more? How can you like the movie... Uh, sorry, how can you like the action scenes in Tomorrow Never Die? The world's not enough, sorry, more than this movie. Like, they, when they jump over the um, the building like, <laughs> on the banner, like, unbelievable. So good. But, um, well, I think, okay, I, I look at the action scenes in The World Is Not Enough. Um, I think the weakest one is definitely the, the snow chase, because I think that's probably one of my least favorite uh, Bond snow chases, to be honest with you, because it's just a yeah, little no, too... I agree with that. It's yeah. a little too cartoony. Um, it's not a bad action sequence. It's fine, uh, but it's not it's good. It's just, it, it's just It's just all right, yeah. yeah. I th- it kind I mean, of comes him, out of nowhere. And, yeah. Right. The best action sequence in the entire film is definitely the opening, and so I think you could make an argument for saying the world is not enough blows its load a little too early. Um, <laughs> <laughs> common theme here about loads. Um, oh, wow. And, and I, I really love the transition into the main Bond song for both films, I, I, I have to say. Uh, mm-hmm. Like with the jet kind of breaking the glass and then going into Tomorrow Never Dies and then with yeah. Bond hanging on the... Uh, uh, the Millennium Dome? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, that yeah. was um, also really, really well done. Um, mm. What are the other action scenes? Oh, the, uh, the, the pipeline sequence. I love the pipeline sequence in the world. It is really enough. good. Yeah, it no, it really, is really, really, really well done. And I like like Bond sort of having to make a decision under duress. That's like a, a fun little moment. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, going back to what we were saying before about um, the which finale is more is better, because we did have an interesting discussion about that. Yeah, we uh, did. Because I agree. I think I, I love the Tomorrow Never Dies better, and I think the finale for Tomorrow Never Dies is fantastic but oh and it it's great sort of, when, especially it, when Elliot meets his end I think that's a great it's oh, such a fitting yeah. and that's another great version of the Bond theme when he's like walking up and he like machine guns the guys in the control room as he's like yeah. just walking up classic Brosnan while you um, just before we move forward here I do yeah. want to take a second here and say that speaking of Brosnan killing people that's a topic we're gonna get into just like a, after we, we finish up like comparing the two films because 
Brosnan is low key one of the coldest Bonds in the entire series. Mm-hmm. I think he's definitely he's definitely got a bloodlust. We'll oh my much. god, he loves but, um, shooting people point blank. He loves, in the face. He loves machine guns. <laughs> he's like he's got a yeah, little fetish for he machine really guns. Does. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, like I think the finale for like. It, it kind of veers into like one man army territory, which is fine, but in, it's never in really which, which film Tomorrow Never Dies. Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, yeah in, in that like, and which is fine, but that is more of like an action cliche, more so than it is a Bond trope, because Bond is never. I mean, the the classic Bond fina- Bond finale is Bond in an army of guys raiding a base. You know what I mean? Um, right. So Bond has never really been the one man army type of action hero. Um, He's done it a couple times, obviously, but it's in most notably in Tomorrow Never Dies. But for me, I always sort of prefer, um, and, and he's done well here, but I always sort of prefer Bond like having more of a feeling less invincible. And when he versus an army, he feels a little more invincible because, you know, mm-hmm. how is no one killing this guy? How is no one killing these bastards? These but, um, bastards. Would you please kill those bastards? Oh, such God. a great line. But, um, Jonathan oh, Price really... had the best dialogue in that. Movie. Like, I will say, his dialogue The hell do was... I pay you for? <laughs> oh, what's the one that you... Obviously, the um, uh, it's time to rock and ruin that it's one. It's time to rock and ruin. I love... What, I love what's the one um, he's like, the, the difference between... Um, oh, yeah, the, the difference between... Um, in, insanity and genius is measured only by success. Oh, that's such a good line. That is <laughs> he's such got some a good great line. lines. Yeah, yeah. He's, um, and you can just tell he's having the most fun making this movie. <laughs> I think he like, had the most fun out of the entire cast. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think there's. Whereas you, you compare it to um, the world's not enough. Yeah, Bond's like sort of versing like insurmountable odds, but it's just a couple of guys on the submarine, and then you do you throw in the bit with like. His best kill, I think, is um, I Never Miss when he kills Elektra. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably mm-hmm. his best kill, like Brosnan's best kill ever. Um, and Dude, that's a cold, really. Uh, well, I don't know if it's his coldest kill, but it's definitely the most like emotional kill. It's I very think. powerful, and um, yeah. and he plays it very well. And then you jump straight into the submarine. I love that track, the submarine track, um, when he like, swan dives into the, uh, into the pool. Yeah. And then like swims up to the submarine. It's really, oh, really dude, good. I- I love that line too before he kills Renard and he's like, she's waiting for you. She's, and that's like, so vicious and unnecessary. Oh, it is, dude, so brutal. Even, even I like, love like, he's like, it. Um, he said something about like, he, he's like beating the shit out of Bond. Um, uh, he said something about like, uh, you'll be dead. And he's like, haven't you heard? So she. Oh, it's like, great. Yeah. He's like, are you really going to commit suicide for her? Um, but yeah, no. So like, I just think, the stakes of that one are a little more like believable, and it, it just kind of has a nice escalation to it. Although it is funny, and I mentioned this, um, it is funny that uh, famed naval commander James Bond yes. didn't know yeah. how to make a submarine rise. <laughs> that is a little <laughs> comical, but um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be like cinema sins and ding him for that. Ding him for uh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is it is funny though. Like it is. How did Bond not? I mean, maybe he hadn't brushed up on his Russian since the end of the Cold War. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. no, it, I think in terms of just like a more like sort of focused finale, there is definitely more focus going on in The World's Not Enough. But Which is funny for a film that it is so know, it's kind of I mean, all over the, the place for the most part. I think yeah. the, the second act is the problem there because the first act is really focused and you've got to like all that stuff with Electra is really good. And then yeah, it's uh, kind of like, like after the, um, after the uh, the nuclear base, it just kind of... Um, even before that, I think it, like the second Bond shows up in, um, I think probably after the ski chase when they show up at her house, her manor, 
Um, the movie sort of turns into a soap opera for a little bit, uh, which is fine, I guess, but it, it just feels really muddled in terms of the sequence of events, and you, you can tell they're, try, they're trying really hard to sort of throw you off the scent with, elect, with Electra, but they almost do that to its, to the detriment of the progression of the film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, the sorry, um, it is a cool reveal, but uh, yeah, I, I just think they probably could have they probably could have streamlined that middle section of the film a bit because then sure. you get to the second half of the like the, once you get to um, basically after like pipeline sequence on the movie sort of starts to straighten itself out. It's a shame that Christmas Jones is there, but whatever, <laughs> um, I'll live. And it does because of Christmas Jones. I think it does lose focus of the whole Electra like betrayal. It does um, a bit because Bond is a little less cut by it because he's like, well, I found a new girl, um, but the movie does sort of find its feet a bit more. And then that finale, the, 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 the third act does really bang. So, Oh, it does. Especially that torture sequence, yeah. which is excellent. The torture scene is, is very Fleming, like the, yeah. uh, the, 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 the ornate torture chair. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it's, it's very, very cool, but, um, not enough to really push the film over the line for me in terms of, uh, which is better, but right. I, yeah. I think, and, and you know, it's, it's just one of those things where it's like any given day, this could change right now. I think I just appreciated the consistency uh, from a filmmaking standpoint uh, of Tomorrow Never Dies, it was definitely more, like I said, it's tighter, it's focused. David yeah. Arnold's score fucks so hard. Um, not saying that it doesn't fuck hard in the world is not enough, but in Tomorrow Never Dies... And you can buy it now. He's unchanged. <laughs> yeah, you can go buy it, which is great. Not, well, not Tomorrow Never Dies, but... The well, the world's not, not enough. enough. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but well, at least I just know, think I, that yeah. the, once again, the heights that the film reaches in The World Is Not Enough exceed the heights of tomorrow never dies mm. but unfortunately the lows also um you know surpass the the, the lows of of uh tomorrow never dies so it's no a little high, bit more of a mixed bag no high in the world is not enough surpasses money penny making a cunning lingus joke oh Come on. that is so good i love that whole like mission brief in the car I, it's so good samantha bond solidified herself as my favorite money penny in, t- in tomorrow never dies yeah she is like as sharp-tongued as any of them oh and it's amazing it's i think incredible. A, a little disappointed a little disappointment that i had with the um the purvis and wade brosnan films is they kind of turn money penny more into like a like the doting kind of secretary again right um, especially in die another day when they had her go through day. that whole like fantasy sequence had, like, i was like a little like the, the little masturbation sequence oh yeah, I, dude um, it was so mm. like out awkward, of the blue yeah. and really like, i feel like a betrayal of her character oh she, it was she'd been introducing yeah. golden eyes the kind of like she's the 90s money penny so she's not gonna be like hanging on bonds everywhere she goes and dates and she right she flirts with him because it's fun but it's like it's a little more professional than it had been in past it's a little more like right. sort of one-sided right. um which kind of opened the not gates that, not for that when, Lois um, maxwell was ever like pr- like preyed on but it, it was more of like more 60s in terms of it's obviously in, in terms of execution right right but, right um, and and i think uh the what samantha bond did uh kind of opened the gate for naomi harris uh in her portrayal of monty penny which is definitely more in yeah. line with that N- not as not as uh uh you know um snarky i would say but definitely yeah. more in the same line um i do want to move I, on I, I, or, say, oh, I just want to say one more thing about like, samantha bond um the one thing that bothered me in the world is not enough because and why why i sort of group it in with dine of the day although not as bad is they do kind of do that love triangle with um the uh physician 
and uh, the, the physician and Money Penny, where she's like kind of jealous of her, and she gets like a kind of a bitchy comment in about her getting her hands on Bond or something like that. Mm. And um, for me, like that stuff was fine, but like I don't know, she just seemed a little more like desperate in that than she then she had um, in the previous two in like maybe. Tomorrow Never Dies and Goldeneye. Yeah. She is like so. She's in control, and yeah, she's gonna flirt with Bond, but it's it's more about like almost it's almost like a reversal where it's like Bond wants her a little bit, and she's sort of like not letting him have any of it. Yeah, it so is, yeah, yeah. It is. I don't know. I, I think they they sort of a purpose and way kind of lost that dynamic a little bit, probably in uh in trying to chase a more traditional Bond Money Penny relationship. But right, whatever. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, but anyways, I think that's the larger discussion between the two films, although I do have to say... At least we can agree they're not the same film. <laughs> no, they're not. They're they're very... I think they're very distinct. Yeah. They are very distinct, I would agree, and I don't think either of them really get enough credit for what they do, um, and mm-hmm. especially yeah. Tomorrow Never Dies definitely gets swept under the rug a little bit more, um, and I think it's unfortunate, but also that film, Dear God has the greatest Bond song that has ever been written that was not the title Bond song. Oh, um, yeah. No, and that is Surrenders. Of course, we were, yeah. And we were talking about this a little bit. Um, it kind of just... It goes back to David Arnold being unchained because that <laughs> song is David Arnold unchained. The ultimate um, Bond song, yeah. And I think oh we were talking gosh. about that if we could rank literally every song that has been in a Bond film, Surrender would come out on top. Surrender Absolutely. is yeah. the best Bond song ever made. It is criminal that that was not the main title sequence. I get why they did it, but I don't agree with it. Yeah. No, same. And then, actually, if I'm going to criticize Tomorrow Never Dies, because I've been gushing over it a little bit this episode, but if I'm mm-hmm. going to criticize it for one thing, the title song like by Sheryl Crow, not my favorite. Um, I, I like the melody a little bit, but not as much as the Surrender melody, which is so well woven into the soundtrack. Oh, um, it's gorgeous. It's so gorgeous. Yeah, I, I just... And I will say, The World Is Not Enough is one of my favorite Bond songs. That is um, one of the, my favorite Bond songs it's, as well. It's fantastic. And I think it was... Um, it's kind of remarkable that, again, we're going to polish, uh, <laughs> polish David Arnold's knob a little bit, but it is remarkable <laughs> that he managed to write Surrender... And then also then follow it up and write yeah. another great Bond song. Like yeah. he he's not a one hit, like a one hit wonder, not a one no. trick pony by no. any means. It's incredible um, because then you can go even further and say, look what he did with Casino Royale and when and he then collaborated he went, yeah. with Chris Cornell. Yeah, no, exactly. He, he like he's just an unstoppable machine. He he is and the he, true man behind. Although he has spy. been stopped, unfortunately. Um, yeah, gonna start a petition. That's like the one thing I would probably start a petition for is David Arnold. I, I'm not a big believer in like <laughs> petitioning studios to do things, but I would definitely start a petition for for old uh, DA. Yeah. <laughs> um, I kind of alluded alluded to it a little bit later on. I think this is gonna be the last thing we talk about. Uh, yeah, Brosnan. Uh, in his remarkably violent nature in the uh, in his tenure as Bond, um, yeah, I think it's just kind of we. I I you, I think you told me at one point in time that he has the highest kill count out of any of his films. Yeah, um, I think he has the highest kid kill count and also yeah, highest kill count and lowest alcohol consumption. I think 
Yeah, which is weirdly enough, which is very, which is the most (laughs) '90s thing I've ever heard. It's like, well, we can't have him drinking or smoking, but he's gonna murder the fuck out of everyone. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh my god. No, Uh, it's it's great. I I think his his most brutal kill obviously is when he uh you know lets go of Trevelyan, uh and uh just drops him into the satellite dish. But the other one is the one in Tomorrow Never Dies where he kills the Doctor. He kills Dr. Kaufman, yeah. Yes, like kills a, Dr. Kaufman, doing shoots a job. Right yeah. in the face. Right in the face. So brutal. And he gets the a other one, I would... The, uh, so, yeah. uh, so am I. And then he pulls the trigger. That's kind of like oh, the, uh, for me, line, just not as um, emotional. Yeah, I know for sure. I actually just pulled up the um, the stats here on the Bonds. Uh, I, well, it's not really the stats. It's more just like sort of a, a, a pie chart. But... um. Yeah, so it looks like Daniel Craig is the most alcoholic Bond, which I probably could have told you anyway. I could have told you that based um, off of Casino Royale alone. <laughs> yeah, the man drinks himself under the table, followed by um, Timothy Dalton. <laughs> he <laughs> really packed it away in his two films. He like chugged, <laughs> which I think honestly makes him the most alcoholic Bond because he only how, had two films. Yeah, he had two films, and he still outdrank um, basically everyone else. Weirdly enough, Roger Moore drank the least. That doesn't surprise me, though. That doesn't surprise me. And he also, um, but he, uh, who, okay, I mean, Lazenby has like a bit of a curve because he did sleep with a lot of people. I think he slept with the most, followed by Roger Moore, which makes a lot of sense. Lazenby uh, did? Like, I mean, Lazenby kind of only had one film and he just slept with everyone in it. <laughs> he but, really um, did. <laughs> um, uh. I think this is proportional, though. I don't think this is like like based on numbers. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think sure. it's per, per film or something. Like the average per film, but yeah, Brosnan by far and away murders the most. <laughs> um, and it makes sense because he loves machine guns. He, oh, he finds does. a way to he get a machine gun in every film. I think my favorite one is is I think at the beginning of Tomorrow Never Dies, where he has that sick leather jacket on. Let me just say, oh, my favorite no, the, the little, where he's like, little, like shooting the, the, machi- yeah. the sweeping shot that's sort of almost a Michael Bay shot that like sweeps <laughs> around as he's like yes. firing the gun. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes. Oh, it's so good. No, I agree. It's um Brosnan is a fucking maniac in these films. He just loves killing people. Um Dude, he's insane. And like and he does it with with such like a um like exceptional brutality. I think it gets lost because he is wedged between the two most like brooding violent bonds. Oh, absolutely. Um, and because when and he's Craig. killing when he's killing people He's like doing it in such a cool way. Like we were, like you were saying this. He's dashing with a bit of danger. That was your dashing description with a, yeah, of, of Pierce Brosnan. And um, the man. thing I want to say about Pierce Brosnan, because for me, he is my third favorite Bond. Fall. It goes Daniel Craig, Sean Connery, and then Pierce Brosnan. Um, mm. I know he gets a lot of flack. I don't think he gets enough credit for what he does. Um, and people kind of lo- they judge him more by the films than they do his actual performance. For sure, which is a natural, a natural inclination. It's a natural inclination, absolutely. Um, That's why uh, people don't usually rank Timothy Dalton high unless they're really hardcore Bond people. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, I think that Pierce Brosnan loved playing James Bond, only second to Roger Moore. Roger Moore obviously loved the character, loved the franchise so much. But I, I think Pierce Brosnan really, really just had a blast with it. And you can see it come through in his performance. And the thing that I love is that in every single outing, he got better and better. I mean, we've said multiple times, we think his best performance is in Die Another Day, which is nuts. But um, yeah. 
That is nuts. Like the it, fact that he managed really, to outshine the, the the insanity that he was involved in. Yeah, no, <laughs> exactly. It's it's just one of those things where he um he constantly cared. He had a great time playing the character and whatnot. And I I have always just I mean you know maybe it's because I, we were born in the '90s and we grew up with him. But it, I, I was telling born, you yeah. like. He was. I legitimately, when I was a when I was a very young kid, I legitimately thought he was the only person who have ever played James Bond until I discovered the the Connery films and the Moore films and Dalton and all that stuff like that. But it was like yeah. it, it, he was just that staple um, for for the franchise. I, I guess just growing up, and he's he's also easily the best Bond to have been featured in a video game. Like he is the video game oh, James Bond. Yeah, he's the he's the video game Bond, and that's the thing. Like I because like like you were saying, I grew up with Pierce Brosnan. Because of the games, because of the movies coming out when we were kids, yeah. like it is just one of those things. Um, I think he does get a little flack for being kind of an amalgam Bond, where he does take, uh, like you know, the Sean Connery edge and the Sean Connery like suaveness, and then mixes it a bit with a bit of the Roger Moore like sort of tongue in cheek. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in that sense, he does sort of feel like a mixture of those two Bonds rather than his own thing. But I. I don't think that means he didn't bring his own stuff to the role. I think you see um, a lot of his own flair in that role. Yeah, I think he sort of found his... Like, as time went on, he really did find his um, his footing to the point where once you reach Dying of the Day, you don't think of him... As, I, I was reading through some old uh, Roger Ebert reviews. Uh, Roger Ebert's a man I uh, greatly admire. And mm-hmm. I was curious what his takes were on the Brosnan Bond films. And he was surprisingly very much like in the same place we are, where like he was, he understood what they were going for and he appreciated them for what they were. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, he said in his Diane of the Day a review that there was, during the opening scene, the second Bond like uh, takes the sunglasses from the, from the, the mercenary guy that he's yeah. like, impersonating um, and sort of grins. And he said, that that was the moment where he sort of realized, oh, I'm not thinking about Sean Connery or Roger Moore or anyone else at the like, right now. Like, I'm not comparing Pierce to these people anymore. He is Bond, and mm-hmm. he sort of transcends comparison at a certain point. And I think yeah. that is something that people seem to forget. Like, he is, for a lot of people, he is Bond. Um, yeah. He always will be. And I think he, he, he has gotten a bit of a shellacking in the last couple of years I think in comparison to Craig, um, and just because Craig is so exceptional, and, and his and his films have been so exceptional, yeah, yeah. completely turned the franchise and character around. I mean, so like all of the praise that Craig gets is so deserved. It's just that, man, I, I, I those those Brosnan films for his, for all the faults they had, they are so much fun. They are. They're, they're really they're very American Bond films. I feel. Yes, uh, they're they the American are. Bond films, and I think like they it's are. very much it plays into the nineties. Yeah. Um, a lot, but yeah, I think because they they had that like action action movie like veneer, like really rubbed on thick. But yeah. it's it's got its own charm, and they're not devoid of of class in a way that a lot of films of the of that era kind of are. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, no, Pierce Brosnan, what a guy, what a guy. <laughs> what a Love man. to have him on the show one time. So oh, Pierce, boy. if you're listening, invites always open because he's oh, totally boy. listening to the show. But anyways, guys, it, I think that hours. is a great <laughs> way to conclude this episode. It's got it's a little over two hours, so you got a lot of information thrown at you. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed it. Be you sure to let us know. While, so. Yeah, exactly. So we got to because you haven't heard from us in like three months or so. We got to give you a jam packed episode, and hopefully, we did that. Um, be sure to follow the words are not enough Twitter account. 
account, which is just T-W-A-N-E pod. Uh, Brody is going to be managing that account, putting up a bunch of polls, and we're going to be taking that into consideration when we do uh, episodes like this because I love this discussion, and I think we're going to start doing more and more of these. Um, I think the next episode we do is going to be kind of like a Bond Christmas wish, wish list or a Bond holiday wish list, correct? Uh, yeah, I think so. That's what we something had, along like, those discussed. lines. So yeah, maybe. So, who knows? Maybe. So, so you're gonna get unless, another episode from us, unless uh, um, Mr. Fukunaga December. gives us a Christmas present, and of course, he we gives have us to a cover that. <laughs> Right, no, oh, God, he, he gives us a trailer, a trailer for a film he's never shot. Footage shot. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, but anyways, guys, Stitched be together sure. with other films. Exactly, exactly. Oh, um, oh be sure to go follow the Words Are Not Enough Twitter account. It's uh, Brody's putting out a lot of great content there, so it's 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 fun stuff. But uh, be sure best. to let us know your thoughts and opinions on the Brosnan era and uh, Die Another Day, ver- or not Die Another Day, uh, Tomorrow Never <laughs> Dies versus The World Is Not Enough. I know we already had the poll, but it's always great to hear from you all, so let us know in the comments yeah, section. Yeah, tweet at us. Uh, tweet at us yeah let us know in the comment section of wherever you are listening to this show um mr brody saravelli where can everyone find you well yeah other than at the uh at the twain account you can follow me at brody saravelli uh that'll be in the description if that name's a bit of a tongue twister for you (laughs) um but yeah no i mean Lots of really great content. Let me just say, <laughs> he's got his he's got his let schedule. Just, let me just plug myself. No, it's um yeah more Bond centric content on the Twain account, and then more everything else like just random movie and political stuff. If you uh if you dare to listen to what I have to say about that stuff Absolutely. on the regular account, so feel free. There you go, guys. <laughs> and as always, be sure to like this video if you're watching it on YouTube, or if you're listening to us on iTunes, please give this vi- this uh, episode a rating, give the show a rating, a review. It really helps out the show. It helps us get noticed. Um, it really helps in the feedback, and uh, if you hate what we're doing, also let us know in the <laughs> comments section or in the reviews, because we we look at all of it. Um, but you can always like Men vs. Movies on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, uh, simply by searching Men vs. Movies, and lastly, guys if you like me specifically and you like what i have to say you can always give me a follow on twitter at griff schiller all right that's going to do it for episode number 18 of the words are not enough and until next time take care I'm Jimmy. And I'm Kenny the Car Man. Hurry up and save at the all-new R-Town Ford. Your new choice in Randallstown. There's hundreds of new Fords with total savings to up to $12,000. Or choose 0% financing up to 72 months. It's my town. It's your town. It's R-Town Ford. Hi, I'm Jimmy. And I'm Kenny the Car Man. Hurry up and save at the all-new R-Town Ford. Your new choice in Randallstown. There's hundreds of new Fords with total savings to up to $12,000. Or choose 0% financing up to 72 months. It's my town. It's your town. It's R-Town Ford.